your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the Ribs and PK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Ribs and PK. As long as the Cubs are in that boat, I don't. I don't think any huge pressure pressure gets ratchets, uh, ratcheted up on the Cardinals because we know the Reds. Um, while they got better last year, they're never going to be a team that's going to spend huge money. Same thing with the Milwaukee Brewers, the Pittsburgh Pirates. So, in some respects, the best friend in the world right now for the Cardinals and a chance for contending are the Cubs. Uh, because they haven't manifested in the way we thought they would after they won that World Series in 2016. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Good morning on a Monday. It is 11.02. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That was Buster Olney on with us last week, talking about how the Cubs are actually the key to the Cardinals being able to contend in the NL Central. I think it might even be more than that, Jamie. The Cubs might hold the key, for everything that we view about the Cardinals this season. Buster only also wrote over the weekend in conversations that he's having with other teams. The Cubs are signaling that there will be a significant turnover on their roster with a willingness to move almost any veteran as well as just about anyone from the core of position players who won that 2016 World Series. And that does include shortstop Javi Javi Baez. So, Jamie, suddenly this is not just about 2020 and the Cardinals competing in the division. It is also about the shortstop position that we've been talking so much about. If Francisco Lindor gets moved this offseason, you would imagine he gets moved to a team that's going to resign him. If Javi Baez gets moved this offseason, you would imagine he gets moved to a team that's going to resign him. Well, suddenly... Let's say one of those guys doesn't end up with the Dodgers. Well, the Dodgers are probably going to then re-sign Corey Seager to be one of their faces of the franchise moving forward and because they've got a lot of payroll flexibility in the future. Well, guys, we're down to two options for the Cardinals after this upcoming season. It's Trevor Story and Carlos Correa. Probably, frankly, the two worst options if you're the Cardinals. The Cubs are suddenly holding the keys not just for the Cardinals competing in this upcoming season and being the favorite potentially to win the NL Central, but also potentially holding the keys to what the Cardinals are going to be able to do in the shortstop market next offseason as well. Yeah, it's weird how Chicago to me is just like declaring basically that it's an all out like ish show. That's it. We're done. We're, we're tapping out. 
I, it's, I, I understand that this probably and most likely and maybe has already started the transition of Theo Epstein leaving the organization. Um, but still, guys, I think it's a really it's a curious maneuver by the Cubs. I don't know if I understand it. Um, but if Javi Baez is a guy that the Cardinals could get in on, I'd like that. And I guess if those guys are eliminated at, at some point, though, when do we just look beyond what's left over? You know what I'm saying? What do you like, mean? Well, if Baez and Lindor are are scooped up by, let's say, the Dodgers and the Mets, let's just go okay. with the odds here. Or the Yankees swoop in. I don't the think Blue they, Jays potentially Blue are one Jays of the teams that's been talked about a lot about the shortstop yeah. market. Then what is the motivation for the last couple of guys? I mean, I know they're good players, but are they that much of an improvement to your lineup? I don't know. Are you speaking on the Cardinals' perspective? I'm speaking from the Cardinals' perspective. I, I think both are valuable upgrades. I mean, look, even if it is Carlos Correa and Trevor Story, I would lean more towards a Trevor Story that he alters your team much like a Francisco Lindor would. Now, look, Lindor brings the Lindor brings the swag. Lindor's got the defense, but Trevor Story's got the pop. Trevor Story's got the offense. His defense might not be where Lindor's is. It's good, but he does bring you to that next level. So even if those are the guys that are left over for you, so to speak, they still alter your lineup compared to what it was prior to that. I guess that. what I'm trying to say is it, with the finances that would be involved to grab these guys. Now, I understand it would be at the – you're talking probably at the end of next season, right, PK? Yeah, so my concern here is the Cardinals are going to be late to the market, basically. You're seeing other teams now jump in front of them, right? So if Lindor gets traded, let's say it's the Mets that end up trading for Francisco Lindor. Well, he's going to get re-signed there. They're not going to just trade for him for one year. They're, they've got all of the money. They've got this new owner. They're they're going to make that deal with the understanding that when they trade for him, they're going to also then resign him just like the Dodgers did last year with Mookie Betts. If Javi Baez gets traded to maybe he's the one that ends up in Toronto. He's with the Blue Jays now. They're going to resign him. They're going to give him the long term deal to be able to keep him there for the foreseeable future. Well, now you go into next offseason. And if I, I wouldn't anticipate Corey Seager is going to get re-signed by the Dodgers. Now, whoever needs a shortstop, whoever is still available on the market that needs a shortstop in terms of the big market clubs, they're all fighting for two guys now. Now the supply is less than the demand, whereas right now the supply is almost exceeding the demand. And that's why we've looked so much to the 2021 offseason is because, okay, with so many guys potentially being free agents at the same position, all of them being superstars, maybe that keeps down the market a little bit. And maybe the Cardinals can then get in on, even if it is the fourth or fifth guy, a really, really good player at what would otherwise probably be a below market rate for him. If we're already seeing this kind of movement on the shortstop market for next offseason in this offseason, well, that then becomes to me a little bit problematic for next offseason for the Cardinals. And instead of looking to 2021, now I'm like, okay, well, then when is the superstar going to come? If they're not going to get in on it now and all of these guys are getting traded, when are the Cardinals going to get in on that guy? And I suddenly <laughs> lose a little bit of hope, lose a little <laughs> bit of faith that that guy's going to be coming here when all along we've been talking about 2021 being that time period for the Cardinals. And that's why we're not talking about it for this season. But we also have talked about quite a bit that the teams that are in play, right, are the big dogs around the league. And I believe it was Friday, maybe Thursday. I don't know. One of them, we talked about how the big teams could literally corner the market. And and oh, it was about the Mets. Talking about just coming in and signing and trading for everybody just because they can. 
and because the market's down, and then if you have those players signed to lower deals because of the market crashing, whatever, that, that you can be in the driver's seat. There's only a couple of teams that can do that. Cardinals, guys, in my opinion, look, the Cubs have already gone on record saying they're not going to be the ones that swoop in and try to grab guys while the market is soft. The Cardinals aren't going to be either, guys. They've declared almost every time you talk to anybody with the Cardinals, times are tough. You know, we need fans in the stands. Uh, The finances are, are not great. Heck, we had to part ways with Colton Wong because we needed that extra $11 million after it was all all said and done. They're not swooping in here for anything, guys. They're not going to be one of those teams that take advantage of this soft market. I just don't see it. See, I think they still have some runway, though. Uh, Until the market does present itself, meaning one of these teams kind of being the first apple to drop, like let's say the Mets trade for Lindor, then that expedites everyone else's moves because they don't want to be the last one at the dance standing with no partner. So I think the Cardinals have some runway. You hope, and again, hope you live off of this right now if you're a Cardinals fan, that the, this offseason takes a little bit of a lag for that market. You know, maybe it takes you into spring training before a team yeah, decides to jump. Do you think going to matter, ultimately? If like, do you think that matters for them? Like, okay, like three, four months from now, all of a sudden we're motivated buyers? If there's, if all of these guys are still available come the beginning of the season or let's say trade deadline, which who knows if it does that. Maybe teams jump in early. But if you get to the trade deadline of this upcoming season, and you start to see more fans come back. You start to see Talking some about progression. The shortstop market for the this? shortstop market. Yeah, if all of these players are still available, come trade deadline. And when was the, the last time the Cardinals made a trade like that? I'm not deadline. saying the trade, but it, you get to the deadline and these guys are still available. It's unique time, so it takes you into the off season where Don't you have so a little negative. bit more runway. <laughs> I would love to believe that. <laughs> Trying to be optimistic, guys. I'm it's a freaking Monday. I don't know why he got negative on a Monday. No. God. Why I'm you negative do that? because it's hot this in here. No, I turned that down, by the we've way. We've been sold this bag of goods, right? And I don't even know if we've been sold it or if we are selling it to ourselves. I don't know how this happened. Oh, we're selling it to ourselves. But we're trying to connect all of the dots, right? You know yeah. that I think it's the always sunny gif where <laughs> the guy's over at the wall and he's like trying yep. to connect from A to Z and you're like going everywhere in between from like A to K and then K to be and you're going all over the place right with all these different strings trying to figure out what is going on well the cardinals it's a very easy a to b okay so this offseason they don't have money they don't have anything to spend on these free agents i can i can totally live with that i understand it next offseason you're going through this hard time so to speak with getting all of this money off of the books so that way eventually you can spend again Well, all of this money is coming off of the books after this season. Next year in the free agent class, you've got all of these different stud shortstops, the most valuable position in the sport. They're all 27, 28, 29 years old, right in the prime of their career. So if you're getting the money off of the books, you're trying to reset things to be able to spend elsewhere on really impressive players that can change the look of your lineup. Well, these are the guys that you do it for. Unfortunately, we might already be behind the eight ball here in St. Louis if they're waiting to do that. I hear what you're saying, Ferrario, about these guys potentially not getting dealt early. Maybe Lindor. I 
I would be very surprised at this point if they're not. The Cubs seem like motivated dealers. The Indians are very motivated dealers. They have signaled to everybody Lindor will not be here next year. Yeah, but it all comes to what you're getting in return. And if these teams are going cost-friendly... I think they just want the money off the books, though. So I think the return can be... I think that's where it fluctuates. Are other good teams going to be willing to accept a higher salary and get rid of younger prospects if they're trying to cut salary? There's only two or three. The Mets seem like the pretty clear, obvious choice. The Mets, the The, Yankees, and the Dodgers. The Blue Jays have made it very clear they are open for deals. about that because I'm really puzzled because as of right now, the Blue Jays can't even play games in Canada (laughs) next year. Much the, The Buffalo Blue Jays that we had this year might actually be that again next year. So it's funny yeah. to me that they're doing it. Now they have massive backing financially up in Canada with Rogers, Sportsnet, that mm-hmm. have deep, deep pockets. Talking about but TV deals. Yeah. Well, and they own part of the team. Right. So, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, but it doesn't all at the same time. It makes a lot of sense because they're supposed to be really good next year. And so they've got this young core and they are about to start their cycle that the Cubs just went through. Right. You asked, why are the Cubs doing this earlier? Because they're at the end of their cycle. This is this is what it looks like whenever you build the way that they did. You start it, you get five, six, maybe at most seven years, and then you go into the down cycle again, and then it goes back up, and then it goes down. It's this roller coaster ride over the course of a decade, basically this this ten year lifespan of a, of a team, and that's how Theo builds, and it's how his teams then go into the rebuild, and then he leaves and he goes elsewhere and he starts it again somewhere else. The problem is right now for them, they're in the rebuild cycle or they're about to start the rebuild cycle. And so they want to replenish their system with prospects for a lot of these guys that are on the last year of their contracts. And that's going to mean uh, there's a lot of guys that get dealt and the Cardinals could eventually be find themselves behind the eight ball as a result on that. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. If Yadier Molina leaves and it certainly seems like that is at least in the realm of the possibility. I spent my morning talking myself into two Cardinals free agents that would make a whole hell of a lot of sense to bring in to improve the lineup. We'll talk about them coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. There are five other teams that have looked into Yadi Molina, including, and this probably won't be a surprise when you hear them, the Mets and the Yankees. Obviously, the Mets do not have a starting catcher at this point with Wilson Ramos, a free agent. Also, the Yankees, Gary Sanchez did not have the year that they expected this year, either offensively or defensively. So the Yankees are in the market and looking at catch. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. That voice you just heard was John Heyman talking about the Yankees getting into the mix for Yadier Molina, that audio courtesy of MLB Network. It doesn't sound to me like Yadier Molina, this whole situation is going to be resolved anytime in the near future. His agent spoke to the Cardinals this past week, according to Derek Gould, and Yadi has urged him to remain in contact with the club. Molina is still seeking that two-year deal that we've talked so much about. Um, and it sounds like, according to Derek Gould, that the market is going to hinge on where JT Real Muto is up and that could ultimately lengthen the amount of time that it takes for Molina to officially receive offers from the other teams it seems to me Jamie Ferrario like the market for Yachty is basically come back here or go play in New York either for the Mets or for the Yankees those seem like the two clear-cut contenders and I almost feel at this point pretty comfortable saying it feels like it's between the Cardinals and the Yankees yeah 
because the Yankees have the money, they have the need, they have the city, they have the contender. They've got everything, frankly, that Yadier Molina is reportedly looking for. They're closer to a championship. Even if the Mets want to go out and trade for one and buy for one, they're still a year or two away probably from pulling it all together properly, whereas the Yankees are just a couple of pieces away, at least in my opinion. And listening to the morning show today, they talked a lot about this, and they agreed with what we've said recently as well. It feels like that's the spot that makes more sense for Yadier Molina. I mean, if we're just going down the the pros-cons list, right, you know, whenever you were a kid and your, your parent would say, hey, Make a list and check which side comes out on the on the plus side of the ledger, right? If you're going through that with Yachty and the Cardinals versus the Yankees, the Yankees come out on the plus side of the ledger for more things than not, frankly. His, his legacy God, do here, they? Yeah. Do his, they? His legacy here is okay, already secure. So his legacy locally or regionally, let's say. Okay, you checked that checked for the pros, but nationally, if he goes to the Yankees, I think his legacy grows. I agree. What I'm saying is if he wins. It's better for him to go to the Yankees on almost every side of things. Oh, I so you're I, he's on the stay in the Cardinals. No, I was like, no, 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 no. He's on the plus side of the ledger by going Sorry. to the Yankees yeah. as opposed to staying here I was in just St. used Louis. to your bad takes. My bad. Uh, totally fair. It was a reasonable <laughs> belief to have. So if we think that's going to happen, it does leave the Cardinals with – 10 million ish, probably to be able to spend elsewhere this offseason, maybe a little bit more than that. And guys, I spent my morning having a whole hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> Don't do it. God. First, hang on. Before you go, let me set the stage okay. Here, okay, for our listeners, because. I don't think you people can appreciate BK as much as we do sometimes because we wake well, that's up. That's definitely true. But we wake <laughs> up true. at 7 a.m. or 7.30 a.m. We wake up to text messages that are just random but they've had research and work, and he's dove into it. And like today, I won't disclose the name, but the the one this morning was pretty easy. Seven twenty three. You can disclose the name. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> At seven, sorry, seven fifty a.m. I have talked myself into Tommy Tommy Listella. Good morning, buddies. Why are you the way that you are? I hate so much about the things that you choose to be. Totally fair. So here's why I brought up the name Tommy LaStella. I'm excited for this. Dave Schoenfeld of ESPN.com wrote about Tommy LaStella, and he wrote about the a bunch of other free agents as well, but his name came to the front of the list for me as being somebody interesting because of this statistic. The major league strikeout rate in 2020 was 23%. Tommy LaStella, however, struck out just 5% of the time. Wow. Tommy LaStella in his entire Major League Baseball career has struck out 150 times. Let me say that one more time for you. Tommy LaStella in his entire Major League career, which spans 531 games in more than 1,500 plate appearances, has struck out a total of 150 times. What the f***? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. That seems like it's a misprint. He has more <laughs> runs in his career than he does strikeouts. He has more runs batted in than he does strikeouts. Now, Tommy Lastella is not a perfect defender, and that is why he has played in his career at second, short, third, outfield. He can play everywhere, right? He's kind of Tommy Edmond-ish. 
He also has some really significant splits in his career. He is unbelievable against righties. He's not as good against lefties. So he's the platoon player. He can play all over the field. He can give you some opportunities at DH. If the Cardinals are looking to go a little bit cheaper, if they want to get rid of some of these strikeouts, if they want to get a guy that has at least shown at times in his career some pop, not great pop, but some pop, I think he is the exact type of a player that they will be looking for in this particular market. Now, he's a free agent. He's a free agent. What's his price tag? I, just like ballpark. Just I, I legitimately do not know. I don't know okay. because he has a lot going for him. Now, here's the downside. <laughs> he's played in more than 80 games once since his rookie season in 2014. <laughs> he's been a legit bench platoon player. Is it because of injuries or just no. la- or just healthy scratches? There's better players than him on every team. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's why his strikeout numbers are so low. No, his no, percentage is unbelievably yeah. low. He, he strikes out less than 10% of the time as, as a major leaguer. Like, he's legitimately a really good hitter. But when he was an everyday player, which I remember with the Angels, he started off hot with the Angels, and then it dropped off when he started to play more games. His, his is he best... just horrible in the field? No. Okay. I, don't think I mean, so. he was fine for the Angels. He was a 295 hitter and had an 832 OPS. That would be like the second best hitter on the team for the Cardinals. I got a better name. Okay, go for it. I got a better name. Well, let's see. Throw your name out, and then we'll have the debate of who we like better. <laughs> Jonathan Scope. Free agent, second baseman. J.P. Morosi, I sent you both a text mm-hmm. about this one. I was talking about him yesterday, I believe, on MLB Tonight. So 29 years old, which look at me. I'm turning into BK. I'm looking at numbers on this one. He's younger than any other free agent that's a second baseman. But he ranks ahead of LeMahieu and LaStella. This year in OPS plus 109 home runs since 2016, which ranks third among everyday second baseman. Now his his war is only about 1.5. I think last year offensively, defensively, he's not the best either. Which let's be honest here, you gave up a Gold Glove. You're not going to get a better defenseman. But you don't have to play him at second. You could play him DH. Oh, well, yeah, but you no, want him at second because then Tom uh, Tommy Edmonds playing third base, yeah, so you can true. keep Carpenter on the bench. But this guy brings you pop. This guy brings you home run opportunities. This guy brings you a potential 300 hitter, a close to 500 OPS. And you got somebody who's got some youth, who's got some swag to him. He's What's one Stella's like. age? He's like 31. Okay. So then BK? He's a little older. He, he, <laughs> listen, <laughs> I, I just spoiled his to, dream. No. Did I, he just come up with a name that was better than yours? Uh, he's a better player. Yes, he he adds more pop. He strikes out more, but he adds more pop. And suddenly, he strikes out more. He he does not walk. I mean, he he's he does not walk. They, they're very different players. <laughs> Until he works with Jeff Albert, then he walks. Yeah, we'll Ooh, see. Or strikes um, out. Damn. <laughs> They're very they're, they're like on opposite ends of the spectrum on what they are as players. Jonathan Scope is a power hitter. He's going to hit for pop. He's going to strike out. He's not going to walk. He's going to swing the bat all the time, which is good. I like that. Uh, unfortunately, it also leads to some downside, right? Um, on the other side, Tommy Listella. He's going to take his walks. He's never going to strike out. He makes a ton of contact. He's not a great power hitter. He also hasn't played a ton of games, and so you're just not sure what the upside is there. There's some untapped potential, but there's also some... Is he going to get exposed if he plays every day type of potential as well? Jonathan Scope plays every day. So there's not a whole lot of concern there. You kind of know what you're getting on these guys. Scope's going to be a little bit more expensive. expensive. Yeah. He's going to be closer to the $10 million a year. Eight to 10 million. Whoa. 
maybe one, one, two years probably for scope. Maybe three if you're. If I you're don't see the card. Really but if he brings you twenty-five home runs, twenty-nine home runs, and that's the difference. I think you can get Listella for like one year, five. One year four, something like that. And then if you pair him with a guy like Jock Peterson, who could come in and there also God, back, in the freaking back to Jock again. If you go with him as another platoon player in the outfield who does bring that pop that Ferrario's talking about by bringing in Jonathan Scope. I think now you're looking at a lot of versatility and it's a different looking team. It's not a perfect team. It's not even a great team, frankly. But if you're looking for a team that can contend for the NL Central in this upcoming year and you want to add a little bit of talent for cheap, I think the best way to do it, if you're not bringing back Yadier Molina, if you're not bringing back Adam Wainwright, is probably Tommy LaStella and Jock Peterson. And I know that is the least inspiring thing in the world. But that's kind of what they're probably going to be looking I at. I just I don't understand the point of Jock Peterson. Why are you going to add another hurdle into an already crowded outfield where you're not sure how you're going to get baby? But you got freaking Carpenter. What are you going to use him exactly. with? Exactly. DH, Nothing. baby. You're just going <laughs> to sit don't. there? You're just going to leave $18.5 million there? Yes. <laughs> what do you mean? You're going to bring Jock <laughs> Peterson here. Hard? You're going to bring Jock Peterson here, and then we're going to continuously sit here and say, oh, well, we don't know what Lane Thomas is going to be, and look at what Tom. That dream's dead, man. I don't it's think gone. So. Did you hear John Mosaic no, at the press conference a few weeks ago? Rona. Yeah. Like, why are we doing this to ourselves? Why are we adding another outfielder into an already crowded why area? Why not? It actually seems perfect. We should go sign two outfielders. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, did I mention Tommy Listella can play in the outfield? Oh, yes! <laughs> Great! Let's just put them all out there. And by the, you've got Tommy Edmond who can always mix in out there as well. Gosh! <laughs> I think you're going to see, by the way, some Dexter Fowler at DH this upcoming year as well. And so you've got to bring that into account. So you're going to want somebody that can play in right need field. outfielders, Alex. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 65780 is the air comfort I'm sweating service. Sweating now. Line. You guys got me all hot. From the 314. Whoa. Guys, Scope is a 115 OPS plus Listella 124. Scope is a 324 on base percentage. Listella 369. Listella may have started slow in 2019, but when he got hurt, I thought. Uh, it, doesn't matter. He goes out he off of the rails. Down. He was not slowing down. Lestella is the one to go after. Wow. Take I, that, Texter. If we play a shortened season, Lestella is definitely the guy. I, <laughs> All <yes>. right. <laughs> I don't have a strong leaning one way or the other. I mean, Tommy, Tommy Lestella, Jonathan Scope, they're all... Six to one, half dozen to the other. They're fine. You're diving they're, in the bargain bin. They're fine players I that like that, that like help it. you. The thing is, if you're going to be looking for these fine players, at least Listella has the type of a profile as a player that I think there's some upside here. I think if you play him, not 31. every day. Not a lot of upside left there, but he hasn't played a ton of games. games. He hasn't Jeez. played a ton of games. If you're playing AARP's him against righties, calling. if you're playing him against right-handed hitters, and if you get him into those advantageous matchups, I think that's the type of player that can come in and be a better better version of what Brad Miller was for you a year ago. With no pop, though. Brad Miller gives you power. If you bring Tommy, Tommy Listella. 16 homers and 80 games style. for the Angels. <laughs> Tommy Listella is Tommy Edmond. Sure. Do you so, guys want another Tommy Edmond? I think that would really okay. help this It depends team. on the price tag. I'm I'd rather bring in somebody who's got pop. I'd rather bring in the power. That's what Jock Peterson's for. Oh, good to have Tyler O'Neill for. I'm done. I'm done. I, 
I'm He's done. Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. I'm just the messenger here. I wish that the Cardinals would go out and get Francisco Lindor. He provides. <laughs> back to that. He provides the pop, the on base. He provides everything. They're actually starting it. to go insane in this I would go from Listella to Lindor. To Lindor. All roads lead back to Lindor. I would rather go that route. They don't appear to want to do that, so I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm trying to find the best option of the less than ideal scenarios. The, I appreciate your options. I really do. I don't, but they're the best <laughs> that I can come up with for you guys. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Kyler Murray entered the MVP mix in oh. a big-time way yesterday, and you have to. You have to hear the play-by-play of his Hail Mary. We'll get that for you coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. This weekend was an awesome weekend of football. Just awesome. Especially the three o'clock games yesterday. And none, none were better than the Bills versus the Cardinals game. Oh my God, right? The Kyler Murray Hail Mary. And let's not forget, this is going to end up being kind of like the uh, the Julio Jones catch in that Super Bowl between the Falcons and the Patriots. Nobody remembers the Julio Jones catch. They only remember Julian Edelman and the great catch that he made because Julio Jones' side came in a losing effort. Let's not forget Stephon Diggs had an unbelievable play and uh, Josh Allen had an incredible throw to seemingly end the game before this Hail Mary. Yeah, that was so weird. I'm like, there's literally not enough time. (laughs) Well, they literally should not be enough time. There was. Wrong. And what took place right after was what is going to go down is probably, if not the play of the season, one of the best plays of the season. I want you guys to hear what the Cardinals radio network sounded like as they announced the call. Got to launch it. He does. Left side into the end zone. Jump ball. And it is. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh, my goodness. It's caught. DeAndre Hopkins caught it. He caught it for a touchdown with one second left. I can't believe it. You can't cover Duke. You're not going to be able to cover him. Throw the ball up. That's what Kyler Murray did. He extended the play with his legs and just chucked that thing (laughs) up into the air, into the desert sky, baby. And D-Hop brought it down. (laughs) Touchdown. Play-by-play man tried to jump in. Color commentary. I'm not done. The color guy was, like, not having it. That's incredible. One of the best calls you're ever going to hear. That that color analyst is is just a doozy. Into the desert sky, baby. <laughs> you hear me him. brought it down. It sounds like a Touchdown. WWE interview. Into the desert sky, Can baby. Can you believe it, brother? And the crazy thing is, that was a really meaningful play, not just for that game, but for the standings as a whole, for Kyler Murray's MVP candidacy, for the Bills in the AFC East, which is suddenly competitive. I mean, it had some massive ramifications across the league. Jamie, what was your biggest takeaway from Cardinals versus Bills, which was, I think, without a doubt, the game of the week? Well, look at, tell you what, I look at these both of these quarterbacks and, and Josh Allen, he had a game. Like, he was on. And when he's on, he's a man-child. Heck, he had a receiving touchdown yesterday where they ran a trick play. He got the pass, almost like the Philly special there. Um, But Kyler Murray, again, I'll say this. 
right now, he's incredible because even on the last play of the game, he's able to run himself out of out of trouble and he turns sideways, launching this thing like he shouldn't be able to throw it that hard or that far from that exact position. He does. It was an incredible game. I will have to say this, though. If I'm looking back and I see it on my screen here watching it, those three defenders on that Hail Mary oh, at the God, end, yeah. what are you doing? What are you doing at that point? Like, you just have to get your hands up and punch the ball out or make sure he can't get in between Hopkins' hands. Like, And all three of them were, like, out to lunch on it. It was amazing to me. Heck of a play, heck of a catch. But if I'm that defensive coordinator, I swear that this is why they they drink a lot because plays (laughs) like that. I tell you what, watching this game, (laughs) it really felt like NFL is set up for the next 10 to 15 years with these players. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the same thing you feel when you watch the NHL with Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon and Robert Thomas. Like, you're like, oh my God, we are so lucky right now with these players. I will say this though, Kyler Murray, great game. I think the reason Kyler Murray is so good though is because of DeAndre Hopkins. Like this guy can run out of any trouble he needs to, but if he doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins, they don't win that game yesterday. True. I don't think, I don't think... Yeah, Deshaun Watson didn't need him. I, I don't... Oh God, that's... A, I don't know if I don't know if Arizona has more than three wins without DeAndre Hopkins. I think they're a good team without him. They're certainly not a contender, though. And that was my biggest takeaway from this game was watching these two teams. They both built the right way. They both found their franchise coach. They they, they went out and they, they hired the guy that they believed was going to get things stable again. Then they go out and get their quarterback mm-hmm. for the bills. They decided to trade up for Josh Allen, which was a super controversial move. There were a lot of people that did not believe in Josh Allen for the Cardinals. A year after taking a quarterback in the top 10, they decided to trade that guy. Cause they see that it's not working with Josh Rosen and they take Kyler Murray at number one overall again, controversial. They see what those guys can do. They believe in those players. Then they start adding talent around them, as much talent as they can possibly get. The Bills, the first offseason with Josh Allen, really, really solidified the offensive line. The second offseason, started adding in a bunch of playmakers. And then this offseason, Stephon Diggs, they traded a first-round pick to be able to go get a guy that has completely changed their Mm -hmm. offense. Same thing for the Cardinals. The Cardinals have improved that O-line. Then this offseason, they go out and make the big trade for DeAndre Hopkins and then gave him the big time contract as well this is the formula you get your coach get him in place you go draft your quarterback you develop him and then you just start throwing weapons into the mix you get as many as you can it used to be a foolhardy foolhardy way to build your program now it's the way to do it. It's a passing league, and if you don't have those weapons around your quarterback, you just can't win anymore. Yeah, I agree. And, but back to your point, Alex, I think it's picking the right quarterback to start. Huge. Yeah. Like, the right quarterback these days is the multi-tool quarterback. Can run, can pass, can do whatever you want. It, it, gone are the days of the stereotypical quarterback of drop back three make your pass, you know, big, tall, slender guy. Those guys, you're, you're getting some big guys. Don't get me wrong. Josh Allen's a big guy, but he's running the ball. And, and Kyler Murray, well, that's a whole other specimen altogether. If you look at the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now, the only, the two guys to me that stick out the most, Drew Brees, I guess, would be third. But Rodgers and Brady are the most old-school-looking quarterbacks. And Rodgers can scramble, too. He scrambled a little bit yesterday at times. But that's like that breed, that quarterback is slightly moving out. After that, go through the go through the league. And all the successful quarterbacks are guys that can kind of do it all. It's a big man that can't shoot in the NBA. 
You can't have him anymore. He, that guy doesn't have any value. Now, if you can't get out of danger in the pocket with your legs, you can't play. I mean, Big Ben would be another one that I would add to that list, and he's getting destroyed this year. I'm stunned that he's made it this far. He, he's good. Well, it's because he's a mountain of a man. That's the only thing holding him together. And you've got to be at that level. You've got to be Tom Brady or Big Ben or Peyton Manning to be able to get away with that. And that's just so few and far between now. Every single one of these quarterbacks that's coming into the league nowadays is a dual threat. And you have to be, I think. Well, a lot of the offense, too, is being built off the rollout where quarterbacks are rolling play out. action, yeah. Even this, just a rollout period. Yeah, mm-hmm. the play action, but then quarterback rolling one way or the other and creating your your routes off of that. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to get into, the other game, was Sunday night football. We had the Patriots taking on the Ravens. Good golly. It's trash. <laughs> Did you see the weather for that one? Uh, unbelievable. It was I thought ridiculous. they were playing in a monsoon at they the end. They couldn't even see the screen at the end. You it was could just... hear the rain <laughs> on the camera as you were watching the Can game. It was like, to play in yes, rain down <laughs> upon us. So <laughs> I'm going to leave this a little open-ended here. Uh-oh. Which team did you learn more about yesterday? The Ravens or the Patriots? Oh, the Ravens for sure. The Patriots, that was, listen, that's a Bill Belichick game where we talk about Lamar Jackson having, telling the world that the defense knows what we're doing. Well, guess what? If every other defensive coordinator knows what you're doing, Bill Belichick invented that. So he was all over Lamar Jackson and their offense, and the the weather played a a part in it too. Um, But I think New England's going to be that team. Win one, lose two. Win one, lose two. This is really telling for me on the Ravens. Like, to me, this is a team headed in the wrong direction right now. And the fact that Lamar Jackson, even under bad circumstances, he should be able to run the ball, at least if nothing else, and put points up in that situation. And it was just not pretty. So for me, my opinion, I learned way more about the Ravens, and I'm less confident that they're even going to be a player in that conference this year. I learned about the Ravens, too. I mean, look, the Patriots are the Patriots. Like I heard him say on the broadcast last night, Al Michaels or Chris Collins was one of them said it. The Patriots have identified who they are in just a running game. And that's all they're going to do. A defense is going to stop them like we've seen them lose this season because that's all that they can do. The problem for the Ravens, they thought that they were a dual threat team. They're not. You put Mark Ingram back in that game between Ingram, Dobbins, Edwards and Lamar Jackson. You can't even run the ball against that Patriots team. That's not the same defense they used to be. No, they're missing a bunch of guys, too. Jackson's arm is not there. He doesn't have his left tackle. He has no receivers. Honestly, I'm to the point now where I think John Harbaugh is a problem, too. I think Lamar's confidence is gone, too. He looks like a player that's unsure every time he's under center. Wouldn't you? It's interesting that you're saying that because I actually thought Lamar played pretty well yesterday, and that's the biggest problem to me. Given the circumstances, he should be a real difference maker. Is it MVP, BK? No, absolutely. And that's what I'm saying is I thought he played pretty well. I thought it was one of his better games in recent weeks. And that's telling that if he's playing pretty well in my mind and they're still losing 17 to 23 on the road in that weather, which should play to their strengths, which is their running game against the Patriots, who we all know is not a real contender in the AFC. I'm worried about the Ravens officially. You've got a lot of teams in the AFC at six and three. They're at least at risk at this point of potentially not making the postseason. And that's a real concern to me. I thought he played all right, but that team, they've got huge issues, especially on the offensive line. And I heard Orlovsky say it this morning on Get Up that it's a different team. Like last year, they had the three tight end package. Mark Andrews now does not have Nick Boyle, whose leg injury was just nasty last night. I mean, he's got Hollywood Brown, but... uh, 
Hollywood Brown's kind of like Henry Ruggs right now for the Raiders. Like he's out there, but he's not doing anything. So he's got Mark Andrews and that's about it. And you can't win like that if you're the Baltimore Ravens in the AFC. The Ravens are going to have a hard time, guys, making the playoffs. I mean, I know it sounds crazy. I'm looking at this right now. The, the emergence of the Dolphins has really put a damper on things for like the teams that were supposed to be shoe-ins and the Raiders performing as well as they have. Like as of right now, the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Browns, the Titans, the Colts, and the Raiders all have the same record. All There's better teams nine too. teams for seven spots right now in That's the crazy. AFC. It's going to be an awesome all race. All those are better teams. I, we'll get into that. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. I want to hear some of your questions, including uh, what the heck happened with these reverse retro jerseys? I like them. I don't know if Jamie feels the same way. We'll talk about it next. Questions and answers on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. All right, we've got a lot of questions on this today. Let's go ahead and bring it up really quickly. Jamie, mm. what do you think of the reverse retro jerseys for the St. Louis Blues? Okay, so I have a lot to say on this, all right? Careful. Now hear me out. Hear me out. So if you're looking for the reverse retro jersey using the 90s as your retro, then yes, they nailed it. Okay, because it literally is the reverse of what we wore in the 90s where uh, the top part would have been blue and the bottom part red and they swapped it. And for as far as that's concerned, nailed it out of the park. Now, I also remember not really liking to wear these jerseys (laughs) and I wasn't alone on that island. Okay, that island was full of people. So what I'd like you guys to do and our listeners is to stop and think for a second. If you're driving, keep your eyes on the road. If you're at home or you're sitting at the office, close your eyes and envision this as a retro jersey, okay? Is the Winter Classic jersey that we love so much, that heritage jersey with the powder blue or Carolina blue, whatever you call it, with the yellow. Mm -hmm. Use that jersey, but swap it, okay? Making it yellow? Yellow with the blue and add some white to it. I'm telling you guys, it would look sick. It would look sick. I would much rather look at that than Ronald McDonald. Like, I'm not high on this. This When they showed the video, I thought this guy came out. I was like, hey, Kool-Aid. Like, it looked like the Kool-Aid guy all in red, you know? I know. The first thing I thought when I saw it Saturday, I'm like, I'm torn because I love this. But I also feel like I'm watching an episode of Bozo the Clown. I just, they're the St. Louis Blues. See, that's what I was telling BK at break. People are in, people were ingrained to hate the color red. The Red Wings, the Blackhawks. If you're a Blues the fan, Chiefs. you hate, well, that Chiefs definitely. You hate red. <laughs> I get that. But look, this is the 90s. Like this is yeah. this was the best era of hockey arguably ever in franchise history. Hall, Shanahan, Oates, Cujo, McKenna, Pronger, Jamie Rivers, for Christ's sake. <laughs> I'm a little farther Superstar down the list than I should have been. But hey, you're up on a couple of people. Let's be honest here. But like, <laughs> I, I agree. I think if you would have done, Rivs, the, the flip of what the Winter Classic was, people would have died for it. I think it would have been pretty but sick. But I don't want to touch the Winter Classic one because it was so good. I think you milk this red one as much as possible yeah. because this was the most popular one among fans. Also, yellow jerseys are awful. 
Like, no, what was the I think last if you yellow see, jersey you that you saw the Predators Man, and I that hate one it. would be pretty sweet. The yellow one just one make me feel like I'm watching a practice. Like I'm watching a practice because it reminds me of those gold practice jerseys that they used to wear in the early 2000s. Oh, man, I'm telling you, so I'm trying to find it here. There's a guy that just, you know, on your own, you can mock up a jersey. Mm-hmm. He did that and he had like the larger blue stripes with some white trim to it. It looked pretty sick. Yeah. Now, but again, let me go back to the original Big comment birds here. out there. <laughs> Highlighters just running around on the ice. Let me go back to my original comment here, okay? <laughs> is if they're using the 90s as their retro jersey, which they obviously are in this case, the reverse retro jersey, then yes, the Blues nailed it out of the park. Uh, and Adidas, of course, nailed it out of the park mm-hmm. with this version. I, I I, I was very proud to play for the St. Louis Blues. Um, <laughs> not so, the St. Louis Reds. Not the St. Louis Reds. <laughs> so for me, the St. Louis Blues should be blue because we bleed blue, right? We don't, like, I know we bleed red, but here in St. Louis, we bleed blue. Let's be honest, though. I don't even know where I am anymore. No, yeah, you're, you're a little out of it. You're into my drinks already. Let's be honest. This is not the one that people should be talking about. There are multiple jerseys right now that came out of these reverse retros that should be discussed for how awful they are compared to the Blues. Like the one that you like, the Calgary Flames. That one's awful. Oh, my God. Did you see the Calgary Flames? That's the old school, like, patch oh, with the dragon. Amazing. Oh, that you is phenomenal. That? Here's the one that sucks. The Coyotes one. No, I get it. The colors are bad, but I get the, colors, the whole concept. Where the hell did purple come from for the Coyotes? Yeah, they're trying to do that whole like desert Aztec type thing. It's terrible. Go back to the the uh, the, it's the pretty bad green man. and maroon well, colors they that they have. The problem is they've already done that, right? Yeah. The, well, then the stop Kuchina making jerseys. Jersey is what they yeah. call that. <laughs> stop making, stop making jerseys. jerseys then, because you know, you're just putting ugly ones out. You know why you make jerseys, Alex? So you can sell them. You know, that creates revenue. You know what you need during a damn pandemic is you need revenue, Alex. Look at the New Jersey Devils. It looks like freaking a Christmas card. You want to sign better players? You want to keep Ryan O'Reilly? We need revenue. Not if you bring in ugly jerseys. Nobody's going to Minnesota with that subway (laughs) ride. I love that one. You're crazy. Absolutely love the Minnesota Minnesota has the best one of all of these. It looks like a footlong wrapped in a subway wrap. Whoa. There's some truth to that, but it looks really good. (laughs) Okay, so BK's into the footlong. There is some truth. <laughs> you might be right. That's what she said. <laughs> really? Really? On a Monday? On a Monday. Thank you. Didn't know it recognized days of the Thank week. <laughs> the Cardinals are leaving some breadcrumbs, and we should be able to follow these bad boys. We'll tell you about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. You know, where do the Cardinals end up in that? Yeah, I mean, it's likely to be down, certainly. Um, but our fixed obligations, um, I think, are somewhere in the 130 to 140 range. Um, and then you'd obviously like to, um, you know, do some things like, you know, Wadi, Yachty and Wayno are certainly out there. Um, and uh, would love to try to renew those guys. We'll see what happens. But, you know, if you tell me how many fans we're going to be able to have, I could tell you what we're going to do. <laughs> That was Bill DeWitt III on with us a few weeks ago talking about the Cardinals' payroll likely going down due to their revenue losses. And Bill DeWitt Jr. actually talked to Derek Gould earlier today. And he, Derek Gould, wrote about the Cardinals' financial situations. Jamie, we know most of this. We know that the Cardinals are likely to have a step back this year in their payroll. We know that they lost money this year. 
We did, however, from this story, get a few of the specifics, and I do think it's important to have these as the backdrop to all of our conversations about the offseason. So a couple of the things that I did learn from Derek Gould's story. He said that the Cardinals, who have an ownership stake in their broadcast affiliate, were set to receive an estimated 58 to $60 million this year from their deal with Fox Sports Midwest. However, that deal is prorated. It is about $450,000 per game, and if there's no broadcast, there is no fee. So they lost basically, what is that, $45 million this year in broadcast fees? Just the TV alone. From TV. Yeah. That's really significant to go along with the fact that, of course, they're one of the teams that brings in the most gate revenue in baseball, and they lost literally 100% of that this year. He also reported, Derek Gould did, that in the three months between spring training and the start of the season, the Braves had $24 million in operating expenses and just $5 million in baseball revenue, so a $19 million shortage in terms of what they were bringing in relative to what they were spending. In an earnings call earlier this month, the CEO of the company that owns the Braves said, quote, the reality is baseball lost a lot of money this year. And unless fans are in the stands next year, it's going to be a challenging business then as well. The Cardinals and the Braves are apparently right around the same revenue. So that gives you a little bit of an indication. $19 million shortfall prior to the season on where the Cardinals were. Again, $19 million shortfall prior to the year. And then in terms of what they brought in for the games that they were broadcasting, it was just $450,000 per game. They didn't get paid for the entire season with the 60 game season. Yeah. It doesn't get any prettier, does it? I mean, we start seeing these numbers and look, I know the fans first reaction. A lot of the time is, well, they're billionaires anyways, and this is just a drop in the bucket for them. But at the end of the day, I've said this a a number of times, it's not our job to go spend other people's money. We can't. Who are we to say that? Oh, those are those losses are okay because we can afford it. We can't, right? Like this is a business. They got to run a business. So that being said, how do you dig yourself out of this? And that's the hard part. And I think I think that's why we've had such a stall right now on well, almost all baseball signings or trades. I think there's only been what one, maybe two, yeah, like I mean, of relevance. Yeah, basically zero. Basically zero. And this is what we're seeing is teams trying to figure out how do you move forward with this in the uncertainty guys of no attendance next year or a minimum amount of attendance. And right now, as of well, last Friday, we know that St. Louis County, like there's the restaurants are shutting down again. Things are going in the wrong direction. So what does that mean for the Cardinals? And how do you run a team like that? It's basically if I, I had a hidden number of what you can you can base your team off of as far as revenue. I have a hidden number, but you never have access to it. So how are you supposed to know if you're right or wrong in what you're doing? So the nice thing for them, and I say that it is nice, and obviously it's it's unfortunate, but it is the reality of the situation right now. They just found out what their worst-case scenario was. Based on what they did this year in terms of the revenues, they now know this is what it looks like for every game that we play without getting any gate revenue in. This is what it looks like for us. So at least they know on the bottom end of the spectrum, here's where we are. 
on the top end of the spectrum, that's a normal season, right? And so you know that it is likely to be somewhere in between. Now, where does it fall? That's where things get really, really difficult. And that's where it becomes increasingly difficult to be able to plan right now for any of these uh, president of baseball operations, general managers, whoever, is you look at your roster and you're like, okay, I'm at, for the Cardinals, $130, $140 million in terms of payroll right now. If we have 50% capacity, I can get to, let's say it's 160. If we have 75% capacity, maybe I can get to 170 in my payroll. However, how in the world could they possibly know that now? And how are they going to be able to know that by January? And that's where things get really difficult if you're in John Mosaylock's spot of you're probably talking consistently with Bill DeWitt, I would imagine. And Bill DeWitt just doesn't have the answers. Well, so that's why I think they're staying where they are right now in terms of the Am payroll. I crazy or did Rob Manford say that the plan is to have... 50% capacity once the season starts up. That's the hope. The problem is you don't know where that's going to be possible or where it's not going to be possible. Right now, you couldn't have, I bet you, 50% capacity at Cardinal Stadium. But you today. do. But, but you, you couldn't have 1%, yeah. according especially, to the local. Seriously. Especially in St. Louis. But, yeah. the, but you know, I mean, I guess you can't say you know because you don't know, but you're 99% sure that it's not going to be worst case scenario. Absolutely. So you build off, I mean, at least you're not going off of four different scenarios. You know it's not going to be full capacity, at least in the beginning. You know it's not going to be the worst case scenario. So you have two scenarios. You have 25% to 75%. It's a lot of work, though. They're going to have to have it from 10 to 15 to 20. They're going to have to have like 25 different scenarios because... For a company to run properly, you have to know what your burn rate is. And right now, the burn rate is actually just – the Cardinals can't even get there. All they're doing is losing money. And what do you mean by burn rate? Burn rate is your number that you have to make in order to break even. And that's usually when you do your finances for your next fiscal year for your company, you have a burn rate of your expenses plus your losses, and you find out what that is. And therefore, you can operate a business successfully by staying above the burn rate. Mm-hmm. Right the now, the Cardinals. To the red. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right now, the Cardinals don't really know what their burn rate is because right now they're in the burn rate because they're losing money every day. Yeah. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. And this was my biggest takeaway from the piece as well. What I get most out of the uh, out of the piece was the fact that Gould was actually able to interview Bill DeWitt. He got some actual financial numbers to try to get them to understand the losses. Those numbers are now out in public. More people will understand the lack of spending and we can brace for as much. Not mad about it, not happy about it, but just trying to read the tea leaves. That was kind of my takeaway as well. I found it really interesting, and this is not um, me saying any, taking any shots at um, Derek Gould by any stretch, but Derek Gould wasn't just handed these inf- this information in terms of what the losses are, especially on uh, the broadcast affiliate, the numbers for that. Yeah. For that. He wasn't handed those for no reason. He was given those because whoever gave them to him knew he would put it out into the public sphere. Mm -hmm. And now Cardinals fans see, okay, this is what they were supposed to make, $60 million. This is what they made instead, basically a quarter of that. I can understand as a fan, oh, wow, that's a lot less than what they were projecting for this upcoming season, along with the fact, of course, that they didn't have any fans in the stands. And so obviously all of this makes it a lot more difficult for them. I understand that. Doesn't mean that I like it doesn't mean that I have to take at face value their projections that as a whole, they lost $3 billion. I'm still not sure I totally buy that. However, I do see that, okay, it was a very difficult year financially for the Cardinals. That being said, Jamie, earlier today, I was reading MLB.com. And we've had a few people text in something about this. 
they did a who says no trade candidate list, right? So they went through Francisco Lindor trade ideas, oh, and they baby. basically proposed, again, they proposed seven different trades from seven different teams. Oh, this will be great. And of course, the Cardinals had one of those trades yes. on this list. The Cardinals would get in this hypothetical scenario, which will not happen, Francisco Lindor. <laughs> Did the, you really have to say that? Why Can you, you at least give that? us like 10 seconds like, of optimism? Yeah, I was actually case, starting to feel good about geez. it. In case anybody just tuned in, I wanted to make sure that they were aware this is not a real trade. This is a hypothetical fake trade where they ask the question, who says no? You've already ruined it. The Indians in this scenario would get Harrison Bader, Tommy Edmond, <laughs> Johan Oviedo, and Angel Rondon. Rondon. That is the Cardinals' number 13 and number 12 prospect, along with Tommy Edmond and Harrison Bader. Here's what the write-up said. Who would say no to this trade? <laughs> Anybody <laughs> who's sober? Everyone. The Cardinals. What? The Cardinals. Hold on. That was my reaction, too. Who says no? No, not the Indians. The Cardinals. Quote, Lindor would be a great pickup for obvious reasons, but he's projected to earn around $20 million in his final year of arbitration eligibility and is scheduled to be a free agent after next season. John Mosellock said earlier this offseason he doesn't see the franchise increasing its payroll, particularly after COVID-19-related losses. And given the financial outlook, re-signing Lindor would not appear likely for the Cardinals. So what are we doing here? Which team says no to Harrison Bader, Tommy Edmond, Oviedo, and the number 13 prospect who we have literally never talked about for Francisco Lindor? According to MLB.com, the Cardinals would be the team that says no. What are we doing here? You're going to like, what are we honestly doing here? You're going to say no to a steal of a trade because you don't want to pay somebody $20 million five years from now where you know you're going to be back to normal. You know what, though? You're losing Tommy Edmond. That guy plays several positions, well, and Alex. And you know what? You got you don't have the opportunity to extend Harrison Bader that $18.5 million. That defense center dollars. field, you can't put a price you tag on it. You guys laughed at me a couple of weeks ago. Laughed at me. Mocked me on just, the air. Just a couple weeks ago. <laughs> when I, you do it a lot, but Usually you specifically did it here. When I said, if the Indians proposed Paul DeYoung for Francisco Lindor, I thought the Cardinals would be the team that says yeah. no. It's the same reason for this sto- for this trip. Heck, they didn't even include Paul DeYoung in this one. Paul DeYoung that would be better Angel than any of this, Rondon. what they're sending. Tommy Edmond, you would love to have. If you get Francisco Lindor, you have no use for Tommy Edmond. Like, forget that. I'm perfectly fine. Play him at second. You, He's going to play right field. Let's go get Tommy LaStella. Like, Whoa. let's figure that oh, out. There, right? it there it is, is again. Way working it. Let's get John Peterson. Harrison Bader's a nice player who a lot of Cardinals fans are already ready to get rid of, right? Just you can find any number of players. Oh, Jock Peterson. Just go play him out there. <laughs> two Jock Petersons and one. <laughs> two Jock Damn. Petersons and one. <laughs> you can find those replacements on the market for like $5 million. You can replace those players. I promise you. Again, what the hell are we doing here? What we're doing is bringing up the fact that the Cardinals are not interested in spending money right now. They're not. I and get so it, But right now... Yeah, Francisco Lindor, you have to Alex trade is for him. Hard time no, here. you you have Alex is playing the part of BK for this sake. No, you have one. <laughs> God, I never thought is, I would hear that. You wow. have, I'd fight him. You have one year of Francisco Lindor where you you don't have the money to extend him. But after that, wouldn't you have the money in that offseason? Yeah, that's what I think. Too. Look at all these contracts you'd be shedding too. But they're cheap. 
They're cheap and cost-controlled. <laughs> That's the thing. The Cardinals love cheap, cost-controlled labor. I'm sweating again. Calm down, Michael. Calm down. <laughs> For what it's worth, we will have Anthony Castrovince of MLB.com. He is based in Cleveland. He's going to join us coming up at 1.30. Here's what he tweeted out earlier today about this article. He said, I think if Cleveland were to get a top 10 prospect from a good system or a viable big league-ready young player, $20 million of salary le- relief and another prospect piece – they will be well done in this trade. Lindor's name value is unfortunately less than his trade value or greater than his trade value right now as he is one year away from free agency with teams watching the money closely. Again, he says there very specifically, if they could get a top 10 prospect from a good system, so not a top 10 overall prospect, a top 10 prospect from somebody's system, which would basically be Johan Oviedo, and dump that salary and then get another prospect that would be a good trade for the Indians. Oh. This this cost Give might my not be exorbitant. And yet, because of teams watching the payroll so closely, including and maybe even especially the Cardinals, it feels to me like they're not even going to be playing in that market, which is horrifying. I'm done. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll play a game of in or out coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> 5780 is the Air Comfort Service sex lab for in or out. In or out, Jamie Rivers. The Dolphins are the third best team in the AFC right now. Uh, wow. The third best team in the AFC. So, of course, the first two, oh. top two, Chiefs and Steelers. Of course. Oh, okay, all right. I mean, seems pretty fair. Uh, and then you've got the competition of the Colts, Titans, Ravens, Browns, Dolphins, and Bills for that third best team in the AFC yeah, right now. Yeah. I'm out as of right now that they're the third best team in, in the AFC. I'm looking at some pretty good teams still ahead of them. I, I think the, Colt and the Colts and the Titans, uh, record-wise, I think that, you know, the Colts are certainly uh, a team. The smoke and mirrors of ta- the Tennessee Titans drives me nuts, but <laughs> I'm out. I'm out just for now. One more week from now, Who do you now, think BK? right now is better than them out of that group? Out of that group, like, I, think definitively the Colts, better. I think the Colts are better. Um, and I, I, I certainly think that I feel like the Raiders are better as well. Interesting, really. Yeah, I do. Okay. I'm in you on this. Stop with the buzzer over no, there. No, I'm in on this. That's... I want one of those. <laughs> Mike Ryder, I want a no, buzzer put in no. on my computer, too. I've been put too. back here. I'm in charge of the board. I control the buzzers. Is... The Colts are the same as the Titans. They're smoke and mirrors. They're I smoke agree. and mirrors on the Why? offensive they just side. Beat the Titans. Yeah, because the Titans special teams and defense are smoke and mirrors. Okay. Both have elite. I'm not going to argue with Other sides of it. Like the offense for Tennessee, despite how they looked against the Colts, they're good. The Colts defense is really good, but they're still up in the air. Miami is the only other team out of all of those that is about as well-rounded as you can get. Special are you teams. Really, are you really confident still with, with Tua there? He's I thought he looks know. good. I, I thought he looks, he looks good, good this, this week. This is still early. This is what, his yeah. third game? So here's their schedule coming up for what it's worth. Alex, his third game. MVP. Their next, their next three games are at the Broncos. We all think that the Dolphins will likely win that oh, one. Especially the way Drew Locke looks. At the Jets. <laughs> and Easy. then the Bengals at home. That'll be a competition for him. I love Joe Burrow, but the Bengals stink right now, man. All I hear is you hate Joe Burrow. And Miami's defense and special teams is better than all of those offenses. See, I'm with you, Ferrario. And their uniforms are really good. Oh, yeah. That was a great game of uniforms yesterday. Between the Chargers and the Dolphins. Yep. Chargers uniforms. Chef's kiss. Um, 
The Colts what? have a really good defense. What is a chef's kiss? Stop. Back up. What is a chef's kiss? The chef's kiss. Come mm. on. Uh, the you Dolphins. Need to wash your hands if you're a chef after you do that. Three times. <laughs> the Dolphins and the Colts both have very similar defenses. I think the Dolphins are better coached. I think they have the better offense as a whole right now than the Colts do. If you're looking over to the Browns, I think they have a pretty good defense. I trust the Dolphins offense more right now than I trust the Browns offense. If you're looking at the Ravens, I don't know that I trust anything about that team right now. And if you're looking at the Raiders, I know I don't trust that defense. And I'm sorry, BT, I don't trust Derek Carr when he gets into a big game. And I don't trust Gruden. Ever. What? Ever. I trust Gruden all the time. No. Chucky. That being said, I'm out for now because I still think the Bills are a little better. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> That's a curveball at MC Cone. He's agreeing with me on everything. I think, I think the Bills are the third best team right now. I need to see it. When the Dolphins start playing good competition again, which won't happen for another four weeks, they will play the Chiefs in four weeks, and that will be a huge test. Mm-hmm. If they can give the Chiefs a really competitive game, that's when I'm going to be all in. But right now, I think they're the fourth best team in the AFC, which is a hell of a lot more than I thought I was going to be able to say at this point. Oh, yeah. I thought they were headed back for a disaster. I was at the point at the start of the season where I'm like, don't don't you dare play Tua. Don't you put him in this mess. Did we even put the Chargers in this conversation? No, no. God, no. They're two and seven. Alex. Did... Alex. What are you doing? <laughs> What about, Alex. What about the Joe Burrow? only team in the AFC with a worse record no. right now than the Chargers are the Jags and the Jets. So and no, both, I don't have both, them in the conversation. And both are great teams. <laughs> great teams. Yeah. Did you just ask that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think serious? he looked at the standings. Then he looked down and went, oh, darn it. No. Too late. These things are on. <laughs> That's true. They are all. That's incredible. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for in or out. In or out, guys. The NBA free agency. The trades are all starting to come down right now. James Harden reportedly is interested in joining the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets are reportedly interested in trading for James Harden. In or out, James Harden to go along with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant would make that the most insufferable team in pro sports. Oh, I'm in for sure. <laughs> Can you imagine that disaster? One, the problem for those guys is there only one, there's only one basketball on the court. They don't, and they all want their own basketball to play with, and they all want to be the guy who takes a shot. They all want to carry the ball up the court. It's just, that would be, it'd be good theater, I think, to watch this blow up in front of everybody's faces. But yeah, no, that, 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 oh. I'd be out on it if Kyrie Irving wasn't in that conversation. Like, I think Harden and Durant would be good together. They were good together in OKC. You got a little bit more ego on both of them, but look, Durant's won rings. Harden's looking for a ring. Kyrie Irving is the problem. Kyrie Irving is going to make that a that soap opera. That guy carried LeBron. He did carry LeBron, but then look what happened in Boston. Couldn't do anything. Look at what happened to him every other time in his entire career when he doesn't play with LeBron. He carries that team no matter what. <laughs> he sucks. He carries He's the Cavaliers. Miserable. He thinks that them. the earth is flat and He tried to make his own it. league last year, didn't he? Yes. I mean, it was a nice he idea. He believes that the earth is like flat, Instead too. of going to a bubble, let's go create our own league. What? He believes the earth is flat, too. So. 
He's just you everything you need to know. This team would be miserable. I can't imagine a worse team to be around than these three guys in particular. Try the Lakers with LeBron. Durant will just go to one of his burner accounts and get angry at them. They'll take it all to Instagram and just <laughs> chirp each other. And then get drunk and forget <laughs> he's on his real account. The funny thing is I actually kind of like Durant. I don't mind him. But Kyrie and Harden just seem so miserable to be around. And you've now seen it not work with them for so many different teammates. There's a reason. There's a reason whenever you see it happen like that. And so, God, yes, I'm Harden so in. This would be, would be fun, though. In or out, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. There's one more trade to announce in the NBA. This one actually has officially gone through. The Phoenix Suns just traded to be able to get Chris Paul into the mix going into next year. In or out, guys, you're intrigued by what Devin Booker and Chris Paul look like next year to go along with DeAndre Ayton. I'm out. I'm not intrigued by anything to do with that. He's out on the NBA. I'm out. I mean, I'll leave that up to you guys. I'm out. I'm intrigued by it. I want drama. I don't care about good teams. He just wants, he wants Harden and Irving and Durant together. He wants drama. One more nut job in there, too. I'm I'm in on it. I think Phoenix has been on the rise a little bit. We were talking about it off the air, BK. And I mean, the fact that you were able to bring in Chris Paul, who was good last year with OKC, give him credit compared to what he's been with Houston. Um, I think you can have some success between Paul Booker and DeAndre Ayton. None of those guys are ball hogs like we've seen with Irving and Harden and Westbrook and all of these guys. So I'm in on it. I'm in on it as well. The Western Conference is going to be fascinating this upcoming season because everybody's actually trying to win. The Golden State Warriors are officially back. The Pelicans are starting to get into that win now mode here pretty soon. The Timberwolves have the number one overall pick to go along with the core that they've already started building there. Who are they picking? I think Lamelo. Oh, there yeah, goes the Lamello's team. Going. There I goes think the team. Lamelo, but I don't know. It well, seems like to. nobody knows right now. I don't think you have to. I don't think there's a rule. Positionally, I think you kind of have to. You have to buy his shoes then too. They yeah. fall apart. You got to sign his dad too. They stopped making those. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. People ended up hurt. Well, Lonzo <laughs> ended up hurt. He had issues with his ankles because of those shoes, and he was traded. So way to go. The yeah, Thunder. So let's draft the other one. The Thunder and the Rockets, if these trades go down as expected, are both signaling that they're going to take a step back this upcoming year the Suns very well could be one of those teams that takes this step forward and Chris Paul would be a big part of that they showed really well whenever they came back from the bubble I think the Suns are going to be a really interesting and compelling team to watch this upcoming Chris year Paul's I, I prob- love this trade for them Chris Paul's problem though is he's got that loser label above, above his head because he's been unable to win everywhere he's gone between New Orleans then when he was with the Clippers and he was with Clippers and Doc Rivers and they weren't able to get it done and then now with Houston and then OKC you got that loser title above your head that's right true. now. That's true. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Final one for in or out here on 101 ESPN. Guys, in or out, we already know the seven teams that will make the NFC playoffs this year. Hi, man. Hi, man. That's There's a limited amount of teams that can actually make the playoffs in this conference. So, I mean, <laughs> for what it's worth right now, those teams that we're referencing would be the Cardinals, Rams, and Seahawks from the NFC West all at 6-3 and three on the year. Oh, how about the Seahawks? Ugh. We'll get into that later. The Saints and the Buccaneers both at 7-2 and two and then 7-3. and three. The Packers at 7-2. and two. And then whoever wins the NFC East is unfortunately required to make the playoffs as well. You guys think that you're in? Yeah. We already know those will be the seven yeah. teams? I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's the only one you don't know is the NFC East because everyone's trash. So bad. The Giants Such are what, the best, division. worst team. I'm with you. The other intriguing thing for me is the NFC North. Yes. Because 
we already know the NFC East will have one participant, right? We look down and we go through the numbers. Now, all of a sudden, we got the Bears, the Lions, and the Vikings that are all probably going to be trying to scrap away. So, to me, that might be as bad as those teams are. I don't really like watching either, any of those Tonight's teams. huge. If Vikings continue to play big. Yeah. Tonight's win or go home, basically, to me. For, for either of these teams, if the Bears lose tonight, I think they're done. I think they're done. I know they will technically still be ahead of the Who Vikings. Did you pick for tonight? I'm going to take the Vikings oh, in this one. I, I just think, think they're I better. the Vikings, too. I just think they're better. Um, and the Vikings have... Got it going a little bit lately. They've got the Cowboys, the Panthers, and the Jags in their next three games. They're kind of still in the mix, but I do think we already know the seven teams. It's just going to be so hard to be able to jump that many teams to be able to get back into the mix. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. The NHL announced some retro jerseys earlier today. Are they going to announce some free agents going somewhere anytime in the near future? We'll talk about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. It is still our objective uh, to uh, be able to start playing as, as soon as January 1st. And, and uh, you know, we're pushing uh, uh, certainly that direction. Um, we, uh, you know, the, what, what's really uncertain at this point in time um, is, you know, how we'll be approaching the season, where we'll be playing uh, games, how, you know, how many games we'll be playing. That's Jamie Rivers. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Bill Daly on with us on Friday talking about how the NHL is still resolute in trying to get a January 1st start date. And Jamie, it continues from there. One longtime executive told The Athletic he thought the NHL is going to shoot for a 48 game season. But other sources say that that number is too low in order to fulfill responsibilities with broadcast partners, both national and local. Uh, officials believe that the number would have to be between 60 and 70 games for the NHL to be able to make as much money as possible. Again, that according to the athletic Jamie, if this is true, if it is true that they need to get to 60 to 70 games for the regional sports networks, the RSNs to be able to fulfill their full contracts, we are going to see between 60 and 70 games. And again, if that is the case, this thing needs to start up January 1st, not they want to, to start January 1st. They need to start around that time, right? Yeah, this is kind of uh, interesting for me because you're hearing so little, right? Like as far as momentum of the NHL coming back, you're hearing so little from the player side, the owner side, the league's perspective, whatever. And it is true. They have to get to, I believe it's 55 games uh, for the regional networks, but I think it is between 60 and 70 at that point for if you add the national broadcast okay. for these teams. I could be wrong on those numbers, but I definitely know between 60 and 70, they cover everything. And if that's the case, guys, then they have to make it happen. They have to. We've talked about this before. The NHL's revenues, they don't rival the other three major sports. They don't rival it at all. They're They're by far the little brother on that team. And so... They got to do what they can, but also go back to my original thought on this is when would training camp start? Like you'd have to have a three to four week training camp if you're going to do this properly to one from now to one, make sure that your team is ready to go. But to find out what you have three, you got to figure out also, in my opinion, I think you're still going to have COVID problems. So what then, right? You got to start December 1st. Training camp might have to even be longer based on the fact that, you know, you want to make sure, or you go the other way and you just invite the guys that you literally think can make your team plus five. 
And I think you negate preseason. Like, I get you want preseason games. Oh, or maybe I think you, you need it. Maybe you take it down to a couple games. Then You can't play six preseason games no, like they no, usually do. I think do. you play two or three, but I think your guys are going to need some game reps, man, or you're going to be looking at a, a slew of injuries in that first month. And you want to get them into the routine of, here's what a game day looks like during these COVID times, but, you know? But then you got to talk about pushing things back again because you're going to be traveling with preseason. And Ooh. even if you do two, you're going to be traveling and you get one COVID positive test and then you're looking at okay now we got to push the season back a little bit more i think this comes out look to me this is still a simple process in terms of the nhl agreeing upon because you could turn that around quick like if we agree upon it agree upon but then the problem is finding the hubs finding the bubble cities that you're going with and what you're doing with that the realignment like there's a lot that still needs to be determined and we Jamie, to your point about the timing of all of this, you kind of start backtracking it, right? So if January 1st is the start date and you want to start camp two weeks before that, okay, so we're into mid-December. Wait, you have to camp, start camp before you. Seven you days before the regular seasons when you have to have your roster set for paydays to start. And you're going to have to have at least a week or a week and a half of preseason games. And that's what I was going to get at is so you, you go back even further Let's say it's December 1st where you really want that. And we know with the intake testing, which is what happened last time, you're going to have some guys that test positive. We saw this in baseball where guys would be coming back, and we saw it with the Cardinals in particular. They had a few guys that, as they came over, they tested positive before they got to Cardinals camp. So you had to wait two weeks for them to even be able to get into Cardinals camp. There's going to be somebody on the Blues, most likely given the numbers, that probably tests positive whenever they get to camp. So you're going to want to allow for a little, maybe a week to be able to have those guys kind of get back into the mix, Mm -hmm. hopefully as quickly as possible. That brings you up to like at the latest two weeks from now, you've got to have all of this in place within the next two weeks. You've got to have the agreements in place. And by the way, there's still a bunch of free agents out there that we have been talking so much about. If I was a free agent, though, I would wait. Oh, I'm waiting until training wait camp. through training camp and then sign, because then I don't have to go through all this. I don't have to put myself in a large number. Gr- I can just go right in, but wouldn't you, do my testing. Wouldn't you want to sign with a team, though, by training camp? Because then you're at so, least right? with them. Depends who you are, right? Like, if you're Mike Hoffman, who cares? You wait right through training camp. Corey Perry? Corey Perry, he doesn't need it. Yeah, if you're Corey Perry, you'd literally just sign mid-season. If you're a guy like that who's established, you don't need it. In fact, like Brett Favre used to say, training camp is is a pain in the (laughs) you-know-what. And so a lot of the guys, as they got older, too, it was funny because I won't out anybody on here, but guys would get to training camp. Like, first day in, they'd have a groin injury. And, like, wouldn't be be back for, like, three weeks until it, like, really started to matter. And all of a sudden, they were, like, back to 100%, which I don't blame them. I went to a lot of training camps, and they're just, like, monotonous. So that being said, a Hoffman, a Perry, the guys in that category, they could step in, you know, five days, six days before the first regular season game and be just fine. Realistically, I think you can look at like a Jan- like a second or third week of January, January 15th, something like that, and still legitimately pull off somewhere between 60 and 70 games because they're negating the all-star week. So you're not getting that time off and the bye week and the bye week. So that's two weeks that you make up where let's be honest, if you got two extra weeks, you had three or four games into those two weeks there. You can legitimately start like say January 15th, 
play 60 to 70 games and be done by June, whatever, by the time the Olympics start. So they still have some leeway. They do, but it's gone if there's any games that are canceled. This is going to be tough, guys. That's where it gets tough is if you have games that end up getting postponed for positive tests, which will happen. That's that's going to happen. What if they go to winning percentage? That's what I think will happen. What if they go to winning percentage? But then that the whole reason why you're trying to get to this right early is because of the RSNs, because of the national TV broadcasts, and if you don't get those games in, like, but it, it minimum, defeats the purpose. But at minimum, for 70, right, and they only get 61. That's in. what I was going to say. You it's a sliding saying? scale. At minimum, you need, what, 60 television games like be. you're contractually? So let's say you start with 72, but that's a sliding scale of, look, at most, if we don't get 72 in, we go to 60 and we go point percentage. They can't go below 60, though. No, 60 that's, that's the magic number. I just don't know if you can get 72 games in while getting the full postseason between mid-January and mid-July, or mid-June, rather. But you're not doing the postseason that we saw in the bubble. You're going back to a normal 16-team know, postseason. but even there, it's going to be really tough to be able to, to logistically get all those games in, unless they are doing a true bubble where you don't have to have any travel whatsoever. In that case, it it makes things a little bit easier. But man, they are they are up against it at this point. Is well, kind of have what to we're expand, all getting at here. They're going to have to expand the rosters too because okay. they're going to be looking to go three games in three days. They're going to have to do that. So you're looking at thirty people. That on a being roster. said, it's, it's going to be like baseball where you have guys who you know they just this is their day off, right? right. Like if you had a. Uh, Colton Pareko, probably not him, but somebody else right down, further down. This is your day off. Uh, this game, this game, this game. Especially with goaltenders. You're going to say, you know, hey, Benner, you're going to play this one, and then you're going to get the next one off. Well, I mean, and your minute muncher. So Colton Pareko, actually, that may not be a far stretch because if he's eating up 24 to 27 minutes a game and you're wanting him to go three games mm-hmm. in three days, you're going to have to manage those minutes and manage his games played. Especially the older players like Marco Scandella. I would imagine he's going to get some time off here yeah. and there, you know, and he's not like an old guy, but he's a big body who plays a ton of minutes right there with uh, Pareko. Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. Absolutely. You're, you're going to see, you're going to see the AHL roster be a little bit more large. It's going to be larger than what it usually is because well, the AHL doesn't start till February too. Well, <laughs> so you've got a surplus of individuals that you're just like, what do we right, do? You're going to have like a month of Saturday. Satellite camp basically in the AHL where guys are just skating. They did that actually. I think that's what makes Is the most had, sense. Like, team B that practices right after because obviously with the facilities that they have here in St. Louis, the new Centene yeah. Ice Center, they could do whatever they want. Yeah, it's a nightmare. It's a logistical nightmare to be able to put together. And as we just mentioned, you got like two weeks to be able to kind of put all of this together. So I bet Seems you easy. at Let's some be point. Optimistic. Over the next yeah, week or so, here's the optimism. I think we're probably going to start hearing some more firm announcements from the NHL. Here's what the hub cities slash division realignment is going to look like. Here is what the schedule hopefully will be whenever we do announce in terms of the number of games. Here's kind of what we're looking at. And then eventually, once all of that stuff starts to get announced, they're going to give it to the players. The players are going to agree to it. And then things can come together quickly. But that's all got to start getting announced here in the next week or two. Otherwise, we are starting to get to the point where January 1st is just going to be too unrealistic for them to be able to officially get to. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Jamie Rivers, what do you have for us today, my friend? All right, boys. Uh, let's see here. Did you guys ever see the movie Fight Club? Oh, I did. Yes. You did Love Brad it. Pitt, it's been Edward a minute, Norton, yes. 
I'm sure, uh, you know, a lot of uh, the listeners would remember that. The first rule. The first rule of Fight Club Don't is. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about Fight Club. Second rule of Fight Club is. Don't talk about Fight Club. Don't talk about Fight Club. All right, so it's pretty easy. You even you can follow along here. Okay. Now, did you? Why'd you look at me when you said that? I, just <laughs> random. So, it's a good movie, though, right? Yes. Do you think, what do you think about that stuff? Do you think it exists in real life? Oh, Fight Club? God, yes. Yeah. Well, I would imagine it exists in a pretty big way now after after the movie. Okay. So we had Kimbo Slice that made himself famous in the UFC sure. from brawling down in South Beach in Backyard. So the Backyard fighting has been around, and so did... Uh, Masvidal? Like, Masvidal. Yeah. Jorge Masvidal as well was part of that. But you thought, okay, that's one thing. Well, guys, guess what? New York City Sheriff's Department raided a commercial warehouse... On Saturday night, discovering more than 200 people were packed inside to watch what they were calling Rumble in the Bronx. Well, that sounds like a super spreader. That's incredible. Yes, yes. officials say at least 10 people were arrested, including a man suspected of organizing the event. There uh, were two handguns seized, uh, some weed, some cocaine, and other party favors. I'll put it that way. But yes, this event was taking place in a warehouse. Uh, the people were drinking heavily, and then they were basically forced to fight other people. Sounds like a gambling. Sounds like a party. Yeah, and in New York City right now, Governor Cuomo, who's been very stern on his rules, sure. Uh, not one of these people were following the COVID mandate. Let's, let's be honest here. Governor Cuomo could probably be in that fight club and he win. Might. A, this is stacked. Dude. I would imagine that if you were going to a warehouse with. Blow and guns <laughs> prepared to fight in Fight Club. Mm-hmm. You're probably not following a mask mandate. Uh, I don't think <laughs> they're wearing masks. I would imagine you may want to those wear two masks. things might not follow down yeah. the same path. Your uh, your risk threshold just seems to be a little higher if that's the type of thing that you're into. So let me ask you this, guys: What would be your interest? Let's take all the illegal stuff out of this. <laughs> what would be your interest in going to attend one of these warehouse things and just try to be a spectator? And watch some of oh, these I'm fights. down to watch. That sounds fun. Attend as a spectator. I'm bringing some money and I'm betting on okay. some of this stuff too. Now, those who attend are also at risk of being forced to fight. Yeah, yeah you're, oh, you're yeah, getting no, selected. Yeah. You guys know me better yeah. than that. You're Let's in the crowd. Honest. Like you oh, yeah, can get called. Apparently, you can just be called out. Where I look across the room and I see BK, no, and I'm like, yeah. you know what? That guy. You know what the key is, BK? You just look at the ground the whole time. Don't make eye contact. No, well, then, then maybe you're targeted there. for that. Yeah. Look, that guy won't even look me in the eye. I'm good. I don't need so this. All, your interest well, level is going really down. Bad now. in prison. I would not be a good well, person to go to prison. Might be, among other things. <laughs> you might technically, you might be the best option for no, prison. No, wouldn't go well for me. I don't feel like that would be in my. <laughs> good thing you're a good runner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good on this. See, I feel like Jamie would love to go because he would be waiting for somebody to call him out. I would be on the other end of this where I would just be petrified the entire time. Oh, I thought you were talking about prison. I'm a pansy. There certainly would be an adrenaline to it, wondering oh yeah. if you're going to get called out. Or do you just go preemptive on this one and you find somebody and you're like, you know what, that dude over there, before six foot seven dude over here who's blocking out the doorway calls me out, I'm going to go over here and check. Like, do you get, do you get ahead of the game? 
find the other smallest person in the building and you challenge him before somebody yeah, challenges again. you. Guys, mm-hmm. you but that can me. be dangerous because then you pick Conor McGregor, who's only like five foot six, and you end up spitting your teeth well, out. Then you know what? As soon as you find out it's Conor McGregor, you play dead. <laughs> you six, might actually be dead, though. That's true. Six, five, seven, you eight. I was the air comfort service Picking sex up line. your teeth with broken fingers. I already got seven missing, so I'm good. From the 636, BK would go as long as he gets his margaritas. <laughs> No, I'm out. I'm out on this. Did we get banana daiquiris here? No? Yeah, seltzers. Yeah. Where do I get the seltzer? Hey, you guys have seltzer drinks with the umbrella? Someone bring me a seltzer before we go. <laughs> and literally the spotlight, right looks, on this guy. Looks like you only have bush heavy. Can I get a light? <laughs> I'm watching calories. Can light beer around here? fighting naked? Why not? As we continue here in the junk drawer on 101 ESPN. So I saw this story. Apparently in Kansas City, they're requiring reservations now to see Santa at Crown Center, which is basically their version of like a a mall here. It's kind of like Union Station-ish area, Mm kind of that sort of thing. Are we doing Santa this year? Is that is that a thing that kids are still doing? Yeah, Santa's in a hazmat suit. Like, I I feel like we could probably put this off for a year or it is incumbent upon Santa to be available while you're at home hmm. this year. Does that make sense? So or is here? it is it the like if you have the big mall or the companies and whatnot, does Santa have to be tested? No, I think you do a Zoom call with Santa. Yeah, like we could do a Zoom call or again, Santa hmm. could become available in your house this year. Do you really want a uh, I think that's I don't your know best option. Do you no, really want a mall Santa coming to your house? Santa is real, guys, and he is going to be available for children in their own okay, homes. Listen, this year. first of all, yeah, on but... Christmas Eve, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind. There's no pandemic in the world that's going to stop Santa Claus. That's a, that's a given. Hundred percent. Now, what I'm trying to find out is between now and that day, what would be best for Santa based on the fact that we need we need him healthy and ready to go on absolutely. Christmas Eve. You don't want to send him to people's houses and Santa get COVID, and then what happens? Yeah. See, yeah, I, I don't just, like the backup Santa. No, no, don't like the backup. Smell like beer Santa. and cheese. Or is Santa even pandemic proof? Like, he's like be. OBJ, where he can't get it. He's just—I mean, he's—he's he's pretty magical, right? I don't know. So from the three-one-four, Bass Pro has him behind a plexiglass this year. See that—that that makes some sense. That makes him look like an inmate. Mike Ryder just told me a lot of the places are putting him in a uh, bubble to make it look like a snow globe. That's a good idea. But then what if he so has it in the, the bubble? Then well, you're just inve- infested with it. Yeah, but it's only him. That, Do you put fine. the kids in the bubble? Well, that's I'm what I'm mostly saying. talking what if you about put, the children here. Guys. What if you put the kid in the bubble? <laughs> what if everybody's wearing a bubble? Like bubble Santa's? And they run around and smack into each well, other like that sport. What's well, that one called? Bubble ball? No, you know what I'm talking about. I do. I don't know what it's called. It looks like a bunch of people running around yeah, as hamsters. You can't really sit on Santa's world. lap in a bubble, though. No, but you can put him on his ass. Oh, apparently they're sending Santa around in a uh, convertible <laughs> right now. Well, isn't his sled a convertible? Yeah, technically. Basically. I just feel like we could probably go ahead and skip the pictures with Santa this year. Unless, unless we're in a bubble. If we're in a bubble, it makes <sighs> some sense. I just feel like maybe this is just not the year. Yeah, let's just, just let it be. Let's make sure Santa's ready to go on the 24th because that's when we need him the most. Be Absolutely. Game, be game ready, Santa. He's got to eat all those cookies. Got to drink all that milk. Got to be prepared to do it. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivers and BK on 101 ESPN. And guys, the Cardinals have a new catcher. His name is Tyler Heineman, and he's going to join us coming up next on 101. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
with former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Excited to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. New Cardinals catcher Tyler Heineman joining us here on 101 ESPN. Tyler, thrilled to have you. Congrats on signing with the Cards. How you doing today, man? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So on Twitter over the weekend, you announced that you were joining the club and you said you're excited to join the club that you grew up rooting for. I got to ask you about this because you grew up in L.A. It's not like you're from around here in St. Louis. Why the Cardinals? Why was that the team that you grew up rooting for? Yeah, so actually I I grew up when I got into baseball, I, I loved the Angels um, and uh, kind of fell in love with David Eckstein. I was always an undersized uh player and just loved the way that Eckstein played and you know he quickly became my favorite player so then when he went to the Cardinals um uh became a Cardinals fan and then you know I kind of fell in love with like Edmonds, Pujols, Molina when he started uh you know Matheny like literally Wainwright all these guys so um you know a big time Cardinals fan and uh yeah like I said it was pretty exciting to uh to sign with them. All right, Tyler, we had uh, a a big crew of people that we went digging, right, to go into your background and and find some things out for us. And we found out that you are the magic man, that you have some card tricks that your teammates appreciated. And if magic man isn't your nickname, I don't know what it is, but can you tell us a little bit about that? Because some people were sad that you were going to be leaving and taking your magic with you. Uh, Yeah, no, so... Uh, I don't think I can be called the magic man because I think that's Javi Baez. I call him El Mago. So I'm pretty sure that means like magician. So, uh, might be, might be, uh, he, he can take the reins on that one. Uh, certainly, but yeah, I got into magic in, in 2015 when I played in the, in the Dominican Republic. Uh, I knew some just very basic card tricks, uh, growing up and, uh, we had a rain delay there. So I showed those off and I, I loved the reaction that I got. Um, you know, just the surprise and the kind of utter disbelief. So um, I went back to my hotel room and I started to uh, just learn some just beginner card magic. And it kind of blossomed from there. And I started learning and learning and, you know, um, got to be uh, pretty decent to where I could uh, fool all, all my teammates and uh, just provide some entertainment during some lulls and, uh, uh, you know, rain delays. Uh, after batting practice, just when there's a lot of downtime. Are you exclusively cards, or do you do any juggling? What what are we Make what are we working with over here? <laughs> uh, um, mostly cards. Uh, I've done some kind of mentalism with with other things uh, besides cards, but I really enjoy cards. Uh, I'd say, you know, we play cards all the time in the clubhouse. Not this year, obviously, but um, we were able to play cards, and you know, in between games and stuff, it's like, hey. Heine, show us a magic trick, something like that. And it, it, uh, it was just something to pass the time. We're talking to new Cardinals catcher Tyler Heineman here on 101 ESPN. Tyler, you mentioned that you grew up watching this Cardinals team and you watched Yadier Molina growing up. And he, of course, is a free agent right now. And I'm not going to ask you to talk about his current free agency, but what would it mean for you to be able to play with Yadier Molina this year if they are able to bring him back? Well, I mean, he's... In my opinion, I think he's the best catcher of all time. So, um, you know, I, I think it'd be exceptional. It'd be uh, a dream come true. You know, grew up watching him, tried to learn how to, how he caught and everything, but he does everything so smoothly and uh, effortlessly, and it's a little bit unconventional. Just be, you know, he's just he's just so gifted. So, uh, I tried to learn from him. Realized that I could just try and take little pointers um, here and there, but can't really replicate Yachty because he's Yachty, and um, you know, just 
just being able to to be in the same clubhouse as him and, and learn just how he goes about approaching a, a game plan and how to how to pitch uh, certain hitters. Uh, you know, I was with Buster Posey. Unfortunately, well, for him, he he, he decided to opt out, so it was a, the right move for his family. But you know, I was with him in spring training uh, this year, and just those are two of the best minds I think in baseball, and uh, just being able to, to pick both their brains. Uh, and just compare and contrast and try and formulate your own plan is just an invaluable piece of information. Tyler, you've had an interesting career in Major League Baseball now. With last year, you had the opening day start, and you had a few opportunities there, as you said, with Buster Posey opting out. What's your journey been like for you to get to where you are today now signing with the Cardinals? How, how would you, for any any fans that maybe haven't been able to see it in the past, how would you kind of summarize what your journey has been to get to this point? Yeah, so, I mean, I think um, some roadblocks along the way uh, and also, you know, just not pushing people out of jobs when I was uh, – that sounds uh, kind of bad, but not what I mean by just not, not forcing my, my issue – or not forcing the issue and forcing my way up to the big leagues. I got to AAA pretty early and then kind of just, you know, had, had a standstill. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I think for, for people that – don't know me. I think it's just I come. If you if you look at, at at my numbers and all that stuff, I just come with kind of a very um, unexciting uh, stat line. You know, I'm just I'm a solid. I think I'm a solid player with with good stats all the way through the board, offensively and defensively. But nothing jumps off the page. So um, you know, it's it's kind of hard to fight your way to the big leagues when. Uh, you know, you have stuff that you're just consistent player, and nothing just jumps out at. at at scouts or, or at other teams and all that. So, um, you know, I would say I'm, I'm an acquired taste maybe. And, uh, uh, the more, the more that people watch me play, um, I think the more people realize that, that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a solid baseball player. So, um, you know, it's been an interesting career for sure, but you know, I've, I've still gone and I still, still got some time. And I think, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't want it either way. Look, Tyler, I tell you what, I was a journeyman in the NHL, and sometimes just being exactly what that team needs is all you need to do. So just be steady, Eddie, back there. But I'll tell you what, there is one thing that did jump out off the scouting report as well, and it wasn't just your magic tricks, but that you have you have an ERA. You, you closed out a game as a pitcher. <laughs> tell me how that happened. Yeah, yeah so, you know, we were, we were getting our uh, our butts kicked a little bit by the A's, and um, you know, we just didn't want to burn the, the staff didn't want to burn any, any other pitchers, uh, cause they want to save it for later on in the series, especially, uh, during this season when there were limited off days. So, um, Kapler came up to me and asked me, Hey, can you, can you pitch? Have you ever pitched before? I said, yeah, I pitched in high school. He's like, well, I mean, we're not looking for you to throw hard or anything. Just can you throw the ball over the plate? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, he's like, all right, here's your opportunity. I go out there and, uh, and just and just try to do the best I can to throw the ball over the plate and let them hit it and uh, my defense make plays for me. What <laughs> <laughs> was that? The, when was the last time that you had pitched prior to that? Because I know a lot of you guys you pitch at some point whenever you're in the little leagues or whatever. When was the last time prior to that that you had pitched? Yeah, I pitched in summer ball. Um, uh, summer ball of college my, between my freshman and sophomore year, uh, like three innings and. Uh, that was it. Didn't really pitch in college and before that high school. So, uh, yeah, I kind of went away from the pitching early on. I didn't really have the, uh, 
the arm strength to be a, a somebody that threw very hard. So uh, kind of I went a different route. All right, Tyler, what's your go-to pitch? I mean, come on, right? You got to have one right. that's the money pitch. The changeup, obviously. You know, just, just cha- <laughs> now, is it a changeup or is it a fastball that registers as a changeup? <laughs> you, hey, you you caught you, hey, you you hit the nail on the head right there. It's a fastball that registers. To be honest, it's kind of funny because you know uh, a bunch of the Giants beat writers uh, after I pitched, they asked me if I was throwing all curveballs uh, because I was everything was registering as a curveball. It was like sixty nine to seventy three or something. So and they had a, and they had a droop and a uh, loop in it. So. They're like, hey, the curveball specialist. I was like, no, those are just fastballs, and I tried to uh, not throw them very hard and just get them over the plate. So, uh, yeah, pretty funny. So as I understand it, Tyler, that wasn't the only event that you had last year. Uh, you also played against your brother Scott in one of the games, and I think if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, your brother hit a home run in that game <laughs> against you guys. What what was that experience like for you? I mean, it's awesome for him. Obviously, you know, he hit a home run when I was catching. Um, I've never been able to live it down. I'm not going to be able to because I've played him three times in the minor leagues when I've been behind the plate and one time in the big leagues now. And every single game, he's one for four with a home run. So he's four for 12 with a, with four home runs when I'm catching. So it's like... It, what it's are you giving up back that, there, Tyler? <laughs> I, I mean, he must, he must like... And I think three of the times it's been on his last at bat. So... Um, you know, and most of the time I'm having a better game than him. Like this game, uh, this year I I was, I think one for three with the walk when he came up in the ninth inning and he was over three. And it's like, he just kind of bears down or something. And he, he hits a home run and just like one ups me. And it's like, unbelievable. (laughs) Do you get a text from your, your mom or dad afterwards where they're like, Hey, we got to get this figured out, Tyler. Oh, absolutely not. No. I mean, my parents are just so thrilled that we get to, live out our dreams and play against each other. You know, it's like, it's way more than, than they ever imagined for us. And they're just, they're just enjoying the moment. But I get texts from my friends and from his friends and my teammates just giving me so much crap because, you know, it's like, oh, you told them what's coming. But if they, if they were to watch the video, I mean, if you look at that pitch, it was, it was up and out of the strike zone against Sam Selman, who has been, had a really good year this year. It's like, no, I didn't tell him what was coming. And it was two strikes, I believe. So um, it's just good, good hitting by him and uh, unfortunate for me because now I, I never hear the end of it. New Cardinals catcher Tyler Heineman joining us here on 101 ESPN. Tyler, just a couple of questions left for you here. Uh, what's, what's your biggest goal for this upcoming season? Now that you've officially signed, you know where you're going to be playing next year. Uh, what's your goal when you, whenever you do officially get out to big league camp with the Cardinals? Well, I mean, so... Obviously, you guys you guys talked about it before. Yachty is, is an unknown, but uh, the Cardinals are hoping to get him back. And um, you know, you got Kisner as well, who's a, who's a big time uh, prospect and player and a young guy. So I think just trying to mix in well. Let's just assume Yachty comes back. Just mix in well, learn from Yachty, um, kind of try and guide Kisner a little bit um, because he's a, he's a special player, and just try and try and get him along the. Uh, the road that I think um, the Cardinals want him on. And, and you know, because um, he's just, he's super talented. And, and I think he's been kind of blocked because obviously Yachty's, Yachty's playing all the time. So um, just want to go in there and just be a, a kind of a veteran presence that, that has been around for a long time. Not, not necessarily in the big leagues, but I've been to, I mean, ever since I signed, I think I've been in big league camp and just learning from them. So 
um, I kind of, I'm just, a, I'm a journeyman, I guess. So I think just imparting some of that wisdom and, and just the mental side of, of learning how to, learning how to uh, read scouting reports and formulate your own scouting report as a catcher is a, is a big tool. And, you know, maybe that can be the, the barrier between Yachty, who's the best at it, I would say, and somebody that hasn't played in the big leagues very long in Kisner. And last question for you. I know you've talked about how excited you are about playing with Yachty. Are there any other Cardinals that either you've played with or against in the minors or in the past that you're also excited to be able to reconnect with or to be able to play with this time around? Yeah, well, Jack Flaherty has been one of my buddies growing up. I mean, he's from he's from the west side of California. And, you know, I've caught his bullpens ever since he's been in in pro ball. And, and you know, we work out together in the offseason. So uh, just – just being able to be around him and, and how hard he works and just, you know, how good he is at, at such a young age, is going to be incredible for me. But, you know, um, I, I think they just, the Cardinals are young. They, they got guys that I played against uh, the young uh, Edmund, all these guys are, are, are studly guys, uh, O'Neill and stuff like that, that, that I played against in the minor leagues. Um, and, you know, they're, they're kind of blossoming now in the big leagues. So, uh, just excited for them and, and excited to, you know, be a part of, of the organization in, in whatever way they they, uh, they need help. Well, Tyler, we're excited to watch you, man. We are thrilled for you. Huge congratulation on signing with the Cardinals. Can't wait to watch this upcoming year. Hopefully it's a little bit more normal than what the 2020 season was. Uh, if you missed it, he is the new Cardinals catcher, Tyler Heineman, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Tyler, all the best to you and your family, man. Stay safe, stay health, healthy out there, and we look forward to talking with you again soon. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. And, uh, yeah, go Cardinals. Absolutely. That is Tyler Heineman here on 101 ESPN. I like that guy. I, I yeah, think, that's a really likable guy. I think he – you mentioned how your career, you can, you can relate with mm-hmm. what he's going through right now and what he has gone through throughout the entirety of his career. He feels like, to me, Matt Wieters with upside. Like the, the role that Matt Wieters was in last year, I think you're going to see something similar from Tyler Heineman, but at least he's shown, like if you look at his numbers from the minors, he's right. He actually isn't a bad player by any stretch. I mean, he's had seasons where he hit 340 in AAA. He hit three, uh, 273 for Miami. Like he's had some decent years in terms of what the numbers are that he's put up, and he's still only 30 years old next year. So at least there's some upside there, and he has the right mindset, it sounds like, to yeah. be able to be paired with a guy like Andrew Kisner. He's really good insurance if the Cardinals aren't able to bring back Yadier Molina. If I know anything from my experience and being basically being this guy, you're the bridge. You're the bridge to the next player, and you're a reliable bridge that can be counted on to do anything that's needed, right? He's kind of good at this, kind of good at that, kind of. He's not a stud in any of those aspects, but he's not going to hurt the team, and he's a great guy in the locker room. He's found his his thing, the little magic tricks and all that. All the journeymen have to find their thing within the clubhouse or the locker room to be that personality, to bring that team together. But, yeah, you're a bridge player. I remember playing in certain organizations where I was the bridge player. I the, the young defenseman coming up was going to take my job in a year or two, and it was my job to get the team to that point. And you know what? You, you play a long time. 
if you're able to do that properly and if you have the right attitude. And I think Tyler has the right attitude. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. Huge thanks to Tyler Heineman for joining us here today on the show. If you missed any of it, 101ESPN.com is where you can find it afterwards. We'll talk with Anthony Castrovitz, baseball writer for MLB.com, coming up here in just about 15 minutes. But coming up next, has the NFL MVP race opened up or did it just become even more clear yesterday? We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. So has the MVP race opened up or did it become even more clear yesterday? That's the question at hand here. Uh, the updated MVP odds are officially out. Patrick Mahomes is now your leader at two to one. This one surprised me a little bit, Jamie. Russell Wilson is now two and a half to one still to win the MVP. Aaron Rodgers is listed at four to one. Kyler Murray at five to one. Those are the real contenders. If you want to go a little bit further, Big Ben is 14 to one. Tom Brady, 16 to one. And Josh Allen at 22 to one. Everybody above that is 40 to one or longer. We don't have to get into all those. I think yesterday, for me at least, I think the race became even more clear. I think it's Patrick Mahomes is to lose at this point. I think he's been the best quarterback so far, especially whenever you look at the numbers. If you look at the value side of things, I think he's pretty clearly the most valuable player. I think Russell Wilson over the last two weeks has clearly taken a step back in a way that I don't even think that these Vegas rankings or these Vegas uh, odds reflect. I think number two for me right now would actually be Kyler Murray, not Russell Wilson. But what did you make of yesterday in the MVP race compared to where we were coming in? Well, I think Russell Wilson should be further down the list now. I do. It's two weeks in a row. He's he's thrown two picks, so four picks in the last two weeks. To me, that's not MVP material. I do think it's a runaway for Patrick Mahomes at this point. Kyler Murray certainly knocking at the door. Uh, that's for sure. But I, I I do think that also you have to still have uh, what's his name, the running back in Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara. I think in the, with the Saints, he's still got to be an outside candidate on this, but. This, there's no competition. This is a runaway for Patrick Mahomes at this point, unless something crazy happens. Aaron Rodgers is having a heck of a season. We can't ignore he that. He really is. His numbers are remarkable. 26 touchdowns and three interceptions on the season. I mean, he. Uh, you you are right. If I'm going to put Patrick Mahomes as the clear number one right now, I think you got to put Ro- uh, Aaron Rodgers in that mix as well. And Rodgers is doing that. He did it a couple of games without Devontae Adams, but he's doing it and he's making guys look big like Evaldez Scantling and a couple of other wide receivers at any other team. You'd say, who the hell is this guy? True. Honestly, I kind of lean towards Aaron Rodgers because he doesn't have the, or he, he doesn't play with the weapons that Pat Mahomes plays with. I mean, Tyreek Hill's tied for first with nine yeah. touchdowns on the season, guys. Like, if you're going to talk MVP, you got to talk about somebody else MVP on the team. for the league or MVP of the team, right? Because I think it you, should be both. When you look at it, Aaron Rodgers is clearly, clearly the MVP of the team. But when you put him into the deep waters of the league, I, Patrick Mahomes is a big speed bump for him. But if, you, but if you take that player away, and it goes the same with Pat Mahomes, but if you take the player away, can they be doing what they're doing without him? And I think... And again, Mahomes is an incredible quarterback. But I think with those weapons, somebody could make do with that team and still be competitive. You take Rodgers off that team, terrible. See, I don't necessarily... I think Devontae Adams is amazing. I mean, what what he did this weekend was unreal. And Aaron Jones is a really good player as well. To be fair, to, to your point, they both have missed some time this year. And so you have to take that into account as well. After looking at the numbers a little closer, and honestly, I hadn't really considered Aaron Rodgers prior to this segment. What? It's 
probably on me. I, I'm talking about in the same. Get your Mahomes blinders off, young man. I'm talking about in the same ilk as Patrick Mahomes. And yep. when you look at the numbers side by side. How many rings does Mahomes It's have? hard not to. He has one. How so many is Aaron Rodgers? That's they right. both have one. How can you not talk about them at the same time? Can, can I throw one out there that we haven't mentioned? <laughs> oh, and this, this is. No, it's not going to be that person. Oh, boy. When do you start talking about Dalvin Cook? I think it's so hard for a running back to even get in t- into these conversations. But if but if the Vikings feels about running backs. <laughs> but if the Vikings make the postseason, and that is a large hill to climb. But yep. if they make it, you're talking more about Dalvin Cook being the reason they made it than you are Kirk Cousins. Oh my God! Absolutely, hundred percent, absolutely. And if you're going to say Kamara, I think you got to say Dalvin Cook. I think he's going to have to have around two thousand yards though, rushing. What's he got now? He's at 858 in seven games for him this year. What's Kamara? And he missed two. So Kamara's thing is that most of his uh, damage is being done in the passing game, not right. on the ground. The short routes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is 16th in the league with 485 rushing but yards. But doesn't he have the, the highest uh, yards after catch? Yeah, his, his numbers... His numbers receiving are unbelievable like this year. So he's at 650 yards receiving on the season, and 620 of those have come after the catch. Oof. Kamara and Cook, I'm not taking away anything from either of those two players. They've been tremendous, and they right. have clearly been the MVPs of their respective teams. I just think if you look at what Mahomes and Rodgers, and especially whenever you're looking at what you're seeing right now from Kyler Murray, I, I think those guys are just above the, any of the running backs right now. So the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780, this is a really good one from the 314. Hey, do you guys think it's time that the NFL made a new award for quarterback of the year? Because the MVP has turned out to be a quarterback award, and yep. maybe there should be an MVP to someone else other than the quarterback. I think that's kind of what the Offensive Player of the Year has become. Like we now have the off we've had the offensive player of the year, the defensive player of the year and the MVP. The MVP is basically who's the best quarterback on the best. But team. If that's the case. And how does if it's Patrick Mahomes, how does he not win both? Because they've typically done it where one guy wins one and another guy wins the other. I mean, and, it's just a question. Like yeah. if he's so amazing putting up all these offensive numbers and doing then why would he not automatically be offensive player? Of the totally year? fair question. And I, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you. Unfortunately, this is just how we do it now. I think like to your guys' point on Cook and Kamara, I think both of those guys would be leading candidates right now for offensive player of the year. I think they they would both be in that conversation. DK Metcalf a little while ago was probably yeah. in that until DeAndre Hopkins got to be. We had. That's what, if you're going to put Kyler in there, I think you got to put DeAndre in because of how good he's played for Kyler. He's been amazing. That that team is really fun to watch. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie at Anthony Castrovince is a baseball writer for MLB.com. He's an analyst for MLB Network and he's based in Cleveland. He tweeted earlier today that it's not going to take a ton for another team to be able to trade for Francisco Lindor. Does he think that the Cardinals would be interested? We'll ask Anthony Castrovince when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. That's former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers. He's Alex Ferrario, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Excited to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Anthony Castrovince is a baseball writer for MLB.com. He's an analyst for the MLB Network. He's on Twitter at his last name, at Castrovince. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Anthony, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? 
Guys, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thrilled to have you. So uh, let's start with a tweet that I saw from you earlier today, and we went over some of the uh, who says no trades that MLB.com put out. Mm -hmm. And you responded to that piece saying, if Cleveland were to get a top 10 prospect from a good system, their $20 million of salary relief and another prospect piece, they'll have done well because Lindor's name value is unfortunately greater than his trade value one year away from free agency and with so many teams watching their money closely. This has been the single biggest storyline, as you can probably imagine, that we've been following here in St. Louis. Do you think that the Cardinals have what it would take to make a hypothetical trade with the Indians if they wanted to? Uh, yeah, in terms of you know trade pieces, certainly. It's the, the difficulty, I think, for the Cardinals and a lot of teams is the – Lindor is going to make around $20 million in arbitration. So, you know, taking that on uh, and giving up prospect talent or, or just young talent in general, you know, big league ready talent for a, you know, a pending free agent is a difficult sell, particularly in this, in this off season, we're in post uh, post a pandemic season and still in the midst of the pandemic. So that that's where it gets tricky. And you referenced that uh, piece we have on MLB.com today and no disrespect to my colleagues who, compiled that piece but I, I think all of the trades on there are a little bit ambitious in terms of what the Indians could get back in this deal because um, I, I just think it's gonna be a difficult marketplace to get you know the, the right value for a superstar player like Lindor we saw that even before the pandemic with Mookie Betts and, and the trade the Dodgers made for him um, the return the Red Sox got was viewed as that yeah, was good but maybe you know not up to the quality that maybe some people thought for Mookie Betts but just goes to show when a guy's you know pending free agency um, you know, his, his value takes a real hit. So yeah, the, the Cardinals certainly have the pieces and, but I, I do wonder, they're one of those teams. I, I wonder if would actually take on the money, which obviously the Indians aren't going to swallow, you know, $20 million or even half of that uh, to get a deal done. One of the impetuses behind the deal is, is moving that money. So you referenced the story and just for any of our listeners that are just now joining us wondering, Hey, what, what was the deal? What would be too ambitious for the Indians? The the deal was Harrison Bader, Tommy Edmond, Johan Oviedo, and Angel Rondon going to the Indians for Francisco Lindor. You view that as too ambitious for the Indians because a lot of our audience would say, "Oh my God, make that deal in a so heartbeat!" Like you, you gotta be. You're telling me we can get rid of Harrison Bader, who a lot of the Cardinals fans are done with, and then Johan Oviedo, who's a, a nice prospect, and Tommy Edmond for Francisco Lindor in deal sold. <laughs> well, everybody's going to value different players differently. So again, I mean, Lindor, he's coming off his worst season. Now, I don't know how much teams are going to read into that in general. I mean, we played 37% of the season this year. So I, I'm not one to ding his trade value too much just because he had a you know pedestrian year by Francisco Lindor standards, but you are talking about only one year of control. So um, yeah, I mean that, you know, a prospect like Oviedo is, uh, let's see where he's ranked in the Cardinals. He's number 12 like right said, now. He's number 12. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it's a pretty good system. So that's, that's not a high caliber. Pro I could understand why Cardinals fans would, would probably, uh, you know, <laughs> gravitate towards that particular trade. Um, the, the point is it's not going to cost you a Dylan Carlson, you know, to get, to get a Lindor. Uh, you think about a prospect like Matthew Liebertor, you know, that strikes me as, as a guy who could, uh, you know, headline, I guess, uh, a deal. I don't know what the Indians are specifically going to target in this. They obviously are a pitching rich organization. So I would imagine they will target position player talent in, in the trade like this. They certainly need the help, especially at the big league level. 
Um, so young outfielders in general might have some appeal to them. Harrison Bader in particular, you know, that's, that's not, you know, not a, not a tremendous amount of, of surplus value there with Harrison Bader with, with the year he had. So, um, but I guess what I'm saying is that one of the, of the ones we have on that particular piece that we're referencing, that one's probably less egregious than some of the others, uh, that are on there. If you look at like the red trade in particular, I, I think we, we might've overcooked that one a little bit. Um, but yeah, the, the Cardinals one is, is cl- probably closer to being sensible. Um, you know, depending on, on what the Indians value here. All right, Anthony. So we talk about just now we're identifying the, you know, the difficulties of maybe getting a trade put together, but let's be honest, the real difficulty is signing this player after, right? And so if that's the case, yeah. based on what we're hearing locally here with the Cardinals, like signing Lindor afterwards is probably not going to be easy. So that brings me back to what we've been talking to for about the last couple of days is there really is only a couple of suitors then. You look at the Dodgers, you look at the yeah. Yankees, you look at the Mets now who you look like they're going to spend a lot of money. After that, pretty much every other team is like, yeah, we're losing money. We're kind of out of this thing. Yeah, you know, a sleeper for me, and maybe it's not even so much of a sleeper anymore because we've been talking about it so much the last couple of weeks, but the Blue Jays strike me as a team that can certainly do this. They have the financial flexibility, and and that's one where there might be incentive for them to make a trade like this because they, they struggle to attract uh, you know top-of-the-market free agents uh, to, to come play in Canada. And if this were a normal situation, if we were certain they were playing in Toronto next year, which it's impossible to be certain of that right now, um, that would be a really good opportunity to get a player like Lindor, get him comfortable there, get him, have him experience a year in, in Toronto, which is you know, one of the great cities in the world, and then maybe have a better chance of, of signing him, extending him. Um, now, of course, they might be playing in Buffalo again next year. For all we know, so that kind of, That's a tough sell. Out of that <laughs> yeah, so a little different, but um that's just just this example of of a team that's you know not one of the you know the marquee teams necessarily but but certainly has the pieces and and probably the financial flexibility to do this st louis you know we saw them with paul goldschmidt they he he got very quickly comfortable in that clubhouse uh in spring training they were able to extend him after trading for him i don't you know anytime a a team makes an acquisition like this there's there is value to that because guys like to be comfortable however they also like the absolute top dollar. And I don't know if that's going to come in St. Louis. So, you know, so um, I will say though, and this is not necessarily just about Lindor, but just you look at next winner's free agent market and you, and you have Lindor, you have Javi Baez, Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, um, who am I leaving out? Uh, Trevor story. Uh, Did you mentioned story. Trevor story. Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a loaded free agent class. So one or more of those guys, it, it would probably be in their best interest to, sign an extension between now and opening day just because that game of musical chairs is going to be interesting and there's bottom line is there's for what for the level of contract those guys will be looking for there's going to be you know probably not enough uh teams to go around so you know maybe there would be value to lindor signing an extension wherever he lands this winter we're talking to anthony castro events here on 101 espn baseball writer for mlb.com and analyst for mlb network anthony what kind of money do you think we're talking about like if the if the cardinals I don't think they're going to, but if they were to stun all of us and they decided to make a trade like this for Francisco Lindor and they wanted to as quickly as possible, re-sign him long-term, what do you think that would take? Well, it's my understanding. The Indians were willing to discuss the parameters of a deal in the, in the $200 million range. And 
you don't even get a meeting, uh, you know, with, the, with this with this player at that number right now, or at least not last winter. Now, you know, as much as the pandemic has changed things, I don't think it's changed Francisco Lindor's, uh, you know, view of himself and, and how he values himself, nor should it. So, um, so I, you know, I, I think it has to begin with a three, uh, you know, the 300 million plus range. Um, it's a steep deal. And, and again, in a, in a moment where the industry at large is, is trying to scale back or, or just be more, you know, thoughtful with how they dole out the dollars in, in the wake of the 2020 season, the Cardinals in particular have made some pointed public remarks about that and, and you know, the, the lack of attendance and how that affects them, how much they depend on game day revenues. So I understand that. Um, so I, I, I just don't know if it's the, you know, the right environment for that particular team, again, to take on $20 million for one season and, or, you know, extend him at, at the number it would probably take to, uh, to get him to sign the dotted line. All right, Anthony, look, we talked about teams wanting to cut cost and, and basically try to get through all this. But then we have another entity in the New York Mets where the owner has come out publicly and basically said, like, I want a World Series yesterday type thing. <laughs> what kind of an influence can the Mets have on this market? And if there are no other teams that are ready to throw the money in like the Mets and go after players, can we be looking at a situation where the Mets could literally fast forward into a contender immediately? You know, they're already, they already were, had all the makings of a contender just hasn't come together. They had some injuries and, you know, they, they're the Mets. Things tend to get a little wonky there sometimes. Now maybe that whole culture will change with a new owner, but you know, they've had their issues certainly. And uh, you look at their offense, um, like we can look at adjusted stats for offense, OPS plus weighted runs created plus, and they were up there with the Dodgers last season in terms of their production. Um, they needed help in the bullpen. They needed depth and rotation beyond Jacob deGrom. And that's what I expect them to target. I also expect them to target a center fielder. Um, they'll be tied to anybody who's anybody in this uh, free agent or trade market. I do think uh, in light of some of the moves they made under Brody Van Wagenen, there's probably just more for them. It's probably better served to just buy up talent as opposed to trading for talent because their farm system has taken some hits in the upper levels and they need to preserve what, what little depth they have. So, uh, you know, I, George Springer certainly makes a lot of sense for them, you know, name a starting pitcher. That guy makes sense for them to start that with Trevor Bauer, um, name a reliever that makes sense for them because they need help from the bullpen. So, um, you know, I don't put it past them. We were talking about Lindor a moment ago or, or Nolan Arenado or any of these, you know, big names in, in the trade market. I don't put it past them to do any of that, but I do think, Again, with where their farm system's at, probably makes the most sense to just you know spend your way through this thing because they have you know overnight they they have the, uh, the the richest owner in baseball, and also he's a new owner, so he wasn't affected one iota by uh, by the pandemic shortened season, so that gives them a huge leg up in free agency. Anthony, last question that I've got for you. I'm going to put you in John Mosellock's shoes, and you are now running the Cardinals this offseason, and you have a very limited budget to be able to go improve yeah. this team, and we know they could use some improvements. What do you do? Who, who, who are you looking at? How, how do you improve what their current roster is? Are you bringing back Wayno and Yachty? What is Anthony Castrovince as the general manager for the Cardinals doing this offseason with limited funds? Yeah, and that's that's the key there is the limited funds. I mean, I like their pitching depth overall, um, you know, especially relative to the rest of the NL central. Um, and on some level, you're just going to be counting on, I mean, your, your biggest upside is probably going to come internally. You know, does Dylan Carlson pan out? 
Tyler O'Neill, Lane Thomas. I mean, they need these guys to hit. Um, you know, that's that's going to have a greater impact than probably anything they're realistically going to do in free agency. And we can have these pie in the sky ideas of a Nolan Arnato trade or a Trevor Story trade or a Francisco Lindor trade. But at the end of the day, they need their, you know, their their homegrown types to uh, to hit, and they also need a time machine to go back and get Randy Ros- Rosarina and and, uh, <laughs> and Luke Boyd. But um, so yeah, me me as a GM in, in a limited budget situation, I'm I'm certainly waiting for the non-tenders on December second and, and seeing what will be a, a market, you know, a huge influx of uh, another influx of free agents and. Um, there, there could be values to be had there, but um, I, again, I, I'd probably be mostly focused on, frankly, if, if my hands are as tied financially as it appears, I'm probably most focused on getting an Adam Wainwright and Yadi Molina back and, and really hoping like heck that, uh, you know, my young guys come through for me offensively. The off- uh, the answer that we were looking for there was Tommy LaStella and Jock Peterson. was looking for you know, Listella, I gotta say, um, Listella is probably one of the more underrated um, free agents this winter because he's a high contact guy, and you know that's we're not in a high contact uh, environment in Major League Baseball right now. So, you know, zigging where others zag, there, there could be value to that. And so, yeah, that that makes a tremendous amount of sense. I like scoring more runs and having more RBIs than <laughs> strikeouts over the course of your career. I'm into players <laughs> like that. Yeah, I mean, those are a rare commodity right now. Uh, guys who don't strike themselves out of innings are uh, a beautiful thing in baseball right now. Anthony, we always appreciate the time, man. People can find your work over at MLB.com. They can give you a follow at Castrovince on Twitter. Thanks so much for hopping on with us. We look forward to talking with you soon. Hopefully this hot stove heats up eventually, man. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. You got it. That's Anthony Castrovince here on 101 ESPN. Did you hear what he had to say there at the end? It's like, oh, you know what? Tommy LaStella. No, he didn't. That's no, a good name. No, that's BS. You tossed it up to him. You lobbed the what? softball, and he just hit it. Yeah, sometimes he, you got out it. Out of the park, though. He took no, a swung, no. and it was a sometimes Tyler you got to shot. You should have threw both names at him and which see one? which one he picks. LaStella and Scope. Scopey? Scopey. He just sold John LaStella, didn't he? He did. He did. That's yep. what I thought. What happened? What you thought. said it. We all knew. We all knew that was our answer. It's with trash. Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next, and I've got to update you on what Drew Brees played with over the weekend. We'll talk about it all coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Brad Thompson in studio. We screwed up. Oh, yeah, we seems like it's 157. Our show starts in three If you missed anything on today's show, check it out on the podcast brought to <laughs> you by I Promise. Yeah. All on the 101 ESPN app. Got to power through here in 101ESPN.com. Coming up on the fast lane. BT, uh, yeah. what's coming up today on the fast lane? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> in well, two minutes. Looks like we pulled off a victory this week. We as a group oh, yeah. are in this one. Right we did you and i didn't know what to do right no, there was, it was like it was covid and then we, we yeah. both wanted a high five and then we didn't and then you fives. looked at me we had a it moment. was either way uh our, we're digging ourselves out of the trenches here with the the pick'em challenge uh, we're going to talk some uh some some baseball today we're going to talk to chris long today at four o'clock oh, nice. as well too so we'll have some fun today ask him about drew Brees playing through multiple rib fractures on both sides of his chest in a collapsed lung on the right side it's called sunday bro <laughs> That's what they do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
every day I'm reminded hey. of the difference between me and people like the two of you who played professional yeah. sports. And this is just one of That's many true. reminders that I consistently see. Because I would have been on... I would have been on the retired list the moment that that happened. Right. He has no idea what a blister feels like when you're trying to throw a pitch. He has no clue. BT, we're looking forward to the fast I actually want to feel one of those feel like because I have dogged on pitchers in the past. I have dogged on them for all it's got a hangnail or a blister. But then it's a big part of the the whole thing. I want to actually get a blister or a hangnail and try to pitch a curveball through that. Wouldn't wish that on my What's the equivalent to a a blister for a baseball player or a hockey player? But I can't, right? Because I don't know. like a ruptured testicle or something? (laughs) Like I would think. (laughs) It's got to be something with the feet, right? Yeah, an ingrown toenail. Yeah. That would suck. Dude, yeah. That's actually one of the worst pains I've ever had. It was like an ingrown yeah. toenail. So random. It's like stuck in your cleat. So Hurt. more on ingrown toenails that's and coming blisters up. coming yeah. up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the Ribs and BK Podcast, powered by I Promise.